Okay, Jason, let's get into it. Welcome back, Screamers, to our third installment of May Madness, where we will be looking at the Grand Dame screenplays of Such Good Friends, Heaven Can Wait, The Birdcage, and Primary Colors. Look, this series may just go on forever, <laughs> and we may rename the podcast to the Elenaverse and just keep going. Look, I have to say, and I'm going to talk for both of us for a yeah, second please. or speak for both of us. I, I, that's preferred. That's the preferred option here. I'm tired of carrying this goddamn podcast the entire well, time. Well, look, look, we have to keep up appearances here. And so just do the work and shut up. But I, <laughs> I, we, we were both familiar with the work of Elaine May. And maybe here's where I'll speak for myself. I wasn't as familiar with everything she had done. But I will say I have never become so enamored with an artist after digging a little deeper than I have with her work. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, and that's what, I mean, and the conversations we've had outside of the podcast, which if you can believe it, listeners, as we actually have those as well. They're so tedious though. <laughs> hey, if you think this is bad. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean like everything it's again, you go back and you watch it on, even on a surface level, we're like, holy shit, this person's amazing. And like, we should be celebrating her more. And then even we're not celebrating her enough. <laughs> and, and the influence and the impact and the, one she is so, I don't know if idiosyncratic is the right word, but she's such an enigma. She's so odd because like when... Eclectic, right? Eclectic is the word we use when people are like in a cool way, kind of weird. <laughs> right. It's like Mary Kay Olsen. And the, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm putting my finger on the pulse right there. <laughs> we, we use eccentric for weird rich people, <laughs> right? And, and eclectic. <laughs> anyway. But she was so like intentionally misleading about all of her, you know, all of her background, all of her upbringing. She would, she would have conversations and she would write articles and she would do interviews where she was both sides of it, pretending to be somebody else. Um, when she was in interviews, you really couldn't, she was a, a unreliable narrator to her own life. She never talked about the Nichols and May breakup at all. Right. She never spoke about it. She never spoke ill about him. Like she's only ever talked about the, the difficulties that she's had in filmmaking, it really in the nicest of terms. And, and when I say that, I, I mean, like she's aware of obviously the perception of herself and, and, and it, but it's, it's always been with this like complete sense of self that she, had, that she had addresses all of these things and comes at them. So it's, 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 I think that's what makes her so intriguing too, is that we don't really know we only know what she's given us and we don't even know if that's what she's given us is true. And she's been so like yeah, prolific without being prolific. Like she, she worked on Wolf. She worked on Heartburn. She's, I mean, like almost, I would imagine almost every Nichols movie. And I can't say this for with certainty, but every Nichols movie, she most likely had a hand in script doctoring. Well, and she doesn't get, I mean, she's not credited for all of those. Right. Right. The anecdote that I gave you, um, was that Nichols was given a script. I think it was before Wolf, maybe in like around postcards from the edge time. And he read it and he's like, yeah, that's pretty good. Nothing that a couple million dollars in Elaine May couldn't fix. Right. And I feel like that's how he approached almost all of his films. Like, but he's like, he has come out and said like, like she saved my ass on Wolf. And like, so I would imagine that she did that for other She should pieces. have helped on regarding Henry. <laughs> <laughs> but this is but this is really interesting because she does all this work that she doesn't get credited for and then appears to not even 
care about that. She's, uh, it's almost like she's this kind of industry insider that knows what she's good at, kind of knows the role she excels in. And she's sort of, I don't know, is she tired of like fighting that fight where she's like, you know what? I did these four films. This happened. Fuck off. I'm going to do this stuff and I'm going to do it really well. And you're all going to know how great I am. At least the people who I want to know. I think it's it's bizarre for Holly, someone in Hollywood and someone who got her start at really such a young age, being such a groundbreaker in the, you know, in the world that she was in, in this improv comedy world where and, and where she was paired with a man and but they weren't romantically linked. So like every other major man, woman comedy duo right where were you know where they were romantically involved in this case are in that i mean you know they were really romantically involved like even the the criticism that's thrown at her that her work wasn't feminist enough or you know that she was portraying women in you know in shrill and stereotypical ways which i think is just a very surface level look at her work like she never seemed to i mean again who knows right and we don't really know because again you don't have a lot of information but she never seemed phased by all of this i think she accepted whatever criticism came at her and just was like yeah, I see what you're saying, but no, this is the way that it actually is. <laughs> like, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the criticism of her not being feminist enough is, well, I mean, look, first of all, who gets to decide what is feminist enough and what isn't feminist enough, if not sort of the author, the female author of the work? So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here as a, as a, as a cisgendered white man and be like, <laughs> that's not feminist enough. Right? But, but I also think that that's, that's wrong. I think that her, there's a way and, and, and this is not a difficult way of, of reading her work, but there's a way to read her work that is really kind of ultra feminist in women existing in these worlds to a better degree than the men. Right. And these are male worlds that they're existing in. And I mean, look, these are films by a woman. So there's this female point of view on the absurdity of men themselves. So, I, I mean, I don't really know how you get much Mikey and Nikki. If you look at that, you're like these guys are assholes told from a woman's perspective. How do you get, I don't know, how do you get much more feminist? I, I think just because of when they're making that criticism, right? You're past the women's lib moment into this movement of capital F feminism in the time of the 70s. Well, that's like second wave, I, second, third wave. I, I didn't keep going into. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think because she wasn't making movies that were female centric and that were progressing a female necessarily a point of view or a cause and been given a platform of being one of the few female directors around at the time. It makes sense to me that people were maybe expecting more from women who were given an opportunity to then just jump on a bandwagon. But and and then, you know, and just scream from the top of their lungs. Here we are. And here's this. And, and I don't know. I mean, that's unreal, unrealistic, isn't it? But I don't think there's anything that she wanted to do either. Right. right? I mean, right. Like, these aren't stories that she was interested in telling. Not, not, that's not to say that. But again, that it is reductive in the sense that her films, I like you said, I, I think are very much a, a feminist stance on the films that were certainly becoming popular at the time. So, I mean, it just it really. I, yeah, I, I think it's short sighted. And to then kind of denigrate and take that, you know, take something away from her. When she was such a trailblazer and so it's, and, and was and you know was laying new ground for and, and for everybody who's come after her, it seems a little, a little very very reductive. Yeah, especially looking. And I I know you touched on this um, 
a moment ago, but her partnership with with Nichols on the improv, I mean, for my money anyway, she's so much funnier than he is. And I think that she really sort of runs riot over him and and especially in the way that she is able to just adjust on the fly where you get the feeling that he's much more kind of methodical in the way he wants to go about that. I mean, that was groundbreaking in itself and her name should have come first. It's <laughs> alphabetical no, anyway, right? It should have been May and Nichols. So in my head, it's always May and Nichols. He was the straight man, right? He oh. always played the the dour straight, you know, kind of straight lace, whatever in, in, in yeah. whatever they were doing. Yeah. Um, yeah she's and she's much more dynamic. And as we've extended this podcast to yet another, another episode, when we'll talk about her acting career. Um, yeah, I think we'll see that is that her ability to embody so many different characters and, and, and to do it like, like, like literally on the fly is just a testament to just her genius. Yeah. And, and I think, and obviously we will talk about this in the acting episode. Um, but her portrayal of Henrietta in a new leaf, just, kills me i mean it's so funny the little kind of lisp that she has when she it's it's great it's great let me ask you this question how do you feel about such good friends (laughs) i'm so confounded by this movie (laughs) because but i but i but i as the more and more i think about it i am one i i what i love about this and this is again, you know, like you said, we open up ourselves to these these artists and and get to kind of really dig in and really look at them. Like this wasn't a film that I was going to seek out outside of this podcast, and that's a fucking shame because it's an amazing piece of work. Yeah, and we should say this is a, a an Otto Preminger directed film from 1971. Right. So she had been, she had just finished up a new leaf and was kind of in the process and. Uh, was hired as kind of a hired gun. This movie, um, <laughs> it, it it had a couple of other screenwriters. It's, it, it's based on a novel. Yeah, by uh, Lewis, very, Lewis Gould. Yeah, and Lois, Lois. Lois. No, it's a it's a. No, man. it's a female writer. The the whole the whole point of view is it because I thought it was L O U I S. Maybe I swear to God I thought it was a, I thought it was the female writing this from her perspective because her husband died. Oh, interesting. Um, like this was a first person pr- perspective. Like this is a semi-autobiographical novel about basically what happens in Such Good Friends. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so Priminger wanted Elaine May to begin with, and she was busy finishing up New Leaf, which, of course, was the three hour magnum opus New Leaf that she was working on. She wasn't available, so he went to someone else. Uh, They lasted a few weeks. They went to Joan Didion and like somebody else. Well, no, no, not not someone else. Joan Didion and her husband, John Gregory Dunn. Look, look, I am I am a massive Didion fanboy. And I and, and, and John Gregory Dunn is also brilliant. His his semi-autobiographical novel um it's called vegas it, it it's great he's he's brilliant but they had just done panic and needle park i think i think that was like the second thing they done they just yeah they just come off of that not an easy watch no opinion. no but and and before that it was joan oh come on what's her name mecklin uh <laughs> God damn it. Um, Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joan Micklin Silver. And but Priminger thought her take was too feminist. <laughs> right. Too capital. Oh no, you okay. So Too Capital F feminist. Yes, you are you're correct. 
about um, I've read it wrong. That's because how you, am I going to fucking edit this? One, one, it's because you're stuck in that first wave of feminism where you think all good <laughs> literature is written by men. No, I just told you I was a Didion fanboy. Like, what do you want? <laughs> Anybody who knows me is like, I just walk around. Look, and the truth has been exposed. We've laid it bare. It's fine. Okay. All we do is grow from here. This is what this podcast is about. It's about <laughs> growth. So the point is, is that Preminger wanted May, couldn't get her, went through Joan Micklin Silver, Joan Didion, and John Gregory Dunn. And, and then May came back, became available again. Now, Preminger, this book was getting press before it was published, and Preminger rushed to buy the rights to it. Yeah, in manuscript form. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy to me that anybody was thinking, oh, this is going to be a great summer hit. We'll just fucking, we'll put this out, and it'll just be Jaws. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's like, and it was more like stream of consciousness as well. Right, yeah. It's <laughs> very Brett Easton Ellis kind of like... <laughs> I know with the buttons to push, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah, you do. Yeah, no one can see the eye roll sort of like <laughs> sigh of disgust that just came out. If you're of here me. in the room, listener, Brock's soul just left his body. <laughs> and gave Jason the finger <laughs> as, it, as it left the studio. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a... It is a first-person account of basically what happens in the film, which is a young uh, New York socialite. Her husband goes in for a routine mole removal. While he's in the hospital, he falls ill because of uh, allergic reaction to the anesthesia, and then his kidneys fail, and there's all, and then eventually, ultimately, he dies. And throughout the death, the, the prolonged death, uh, his wife finds out that he has basically been stripping the entirety of all of their friends, as such good friends. Their entire social circle. And the book is filled with, um, you know, a, an inner monologue aside. I haven't read the book, to be fair, but it's it's filled with inner monologue asides, and it's but it is very not funny. There are funny portions where I understand like the asides are funny, but this is pretty straightforward of like, hey, this is my life and I had it this way. And as soon as this happened to me, shit just went south and I was forced to face all of these realities that have, of and loss of self and loss of, you know, just knowledge of, of you know, and, and of my place in the world. And then had to very quickly kind of come back around and figure all of that out. Do you think this movie is funny? I think it's brutally funny in, in places. I think it's painfully funny. And yeah. just, I mean, the, the, it, it's crazy. Like it's almost, it, it's, it's like you, it's like a really shitty friend who like doesn't know when to like not turn the knife. But that scene where they're talking about, you know, now that he's gone into the hospital and gotten sick, now he can get really good hair. Cause like the care you get when you go into the hospital at the beginning <laughs> is shit. It sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. But now that he's really sick and in the hospital, that's when the really fine care of the, of the medical system comes out. Like there's, there's brilliant little like uh, what May does with the um, with the dialogue. And this is almost like Altman esque in this overlapping dialogue where like she uh, Diane Ken is the main character in this. And, she, and she's the one who's her, her husband is, is uh, you know, is the one who's in the hospital. And she has all these inner monologues as well. And they match up with the outer dialogue. So there's scenes where she's like talking to herself and she has this like are you, is, is he as good a lover as me? And then it comes in with the, you know, the real dialogues is like, no, no, he's not. And it's like that whole, or do you think he's a good as lover as me? And like the answer to, and the answer comes from the real world into our side of no, there's all of that. So, and I think, I don't know. It's one of those movies. It's like, it's, it's not cringe because it's a different thing, but this, but it is so uncomfortable, the humor in this. And it like this movie, it's crazy to me because it doesn't really like forgive anything. You it, like you go in and like you 
follow entire journey of Diane Cannon. You, you're, you're introduced to her and she is this kind of airheadish. I mean, like on paper, right? Just by appearances, she's this kind of airhead, you know, very superficial, um, caught up in her looks. and Like, like we it, think of socialites. Right, right. And she is in the background of her more successful. I mean, she's a housewife, right? She's a New York socialite housewife who's not really expected to do much other than to look pretty, look presentable. And Go to, to be, parties, be yeah, on his be arm. arm candy, right? Mm-hmm. And we're we're introduced as he has he's the editor of some magazine, you know, some art magazine or something. It's 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 hinted at it's one of, you know, it's like the New Yorker or something along those lines, like Contenast or whatever. And he's just come out with the a children's uh, book. a children's book, a very, you know, a, a, so he's just released a children's book and there's going to be all these people there, but they're all the people that are at the party are kind of more important than him. And he meets up with, you know, so basically she's just there as arm candy. And in fact, most of the, most of the first set pieces that when the, there's even scenes, which is really bizarre where she's just in the background and the camera scrolls across her, you see her and she's not even in frame. And, but it, this is her story. And, you know, so she has no agency at all at the beginning. And she's seen as this kind of like, just kind of simpleton in a lot of ways where she, she dresses up for this party and she's not wearing a bra and she, and it's a see-through bra. And like, there's kind of cartoon buffoon, buffoonery, like where the, the doorman, like, stares at her boobs in his and eyes like right and there's like a drop out like right and and you know and she's she is uh has flights of fancy as well so when she goes to the party she meets all these important people and and of, of like the like scathing satire you see a man who is the cultural attache to the white house or whatever the cultural advisor to the white house and he's just written this book and he asked, or they end up dancing with Diane Cannon and it's Burgess Meredith. And, and right, like, and right. then as she sees him in his head or in her head, he's stark naked, but his book, Weissman, is on his it's genitals. Honest, basically, yeah, it's covering his for his genitals. Dick, yeah. <laughs> and Burgess Meredith, this is kudos to Burgess Meredith. That had to be a very brave thing for him to do for a Oh, he was having fun too. A five minute cameo. He was, he was really into. It. I mean, the whole dancing scene. He's moving around. Um, yeah. It's, so dance. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's very, very funny. But I also think it's just. It's so biting. It's like. Oh yeah. This movie is. It's weird. It is a weird film. It, it's a really weird film. I. It's so caustic. I think, and especially in its send up of you. You. You brought up the doctor's conversation about. Well, now that he's really sick, we can give him the best care. And and she even says back, oh, because when you first get here, you get like really shitty care. And the doctors then fire back. You're very difficult to talk to. (laughs) And you're meant to. And it's funny because it's so absurd. And this movie does that with all of these like like major institutions of 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 power. I mean, the the medical institution, the institution of marriage, friendships and relationships. And it just takes these things down, I think, kind of over and over again. Yeah. In this very biting, dark way where <laughs> it's it's not that cringe comedy, but you are squirming the entire. I mean, I was just like kind of wriggling in my chair the entire time. I don't the 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 sort of like well here i'm going to say this i don't think priminger knows what to do with may script i don't think he knows what to do with the way she's written these characters and i haven't that was the one script that i couldn't find like an actual file of to to sit and read mm-hmm. but like he just described julie that's Diane Cannon's character comes off at the beginning as this kind of thoughtless silly kind of just piece of arm candy 
But we start to see her as a little bit sharper, a little bit smarter, a little bit more attuned to things than than we first thought. And but she kind of goes back and forth with that. And I think that that's the direction part rather than how she was written. And that's why it's kind of like I'm not sure Priminger knows really what to do with what May's given him on on paper. The same thing with the asides and the sort of like flights of fancy. I wonder and, and maybe one day I'll read the book. Pro- probably not, to be honest. Right? But but I wonder, like you were saying, it up wrong. Be like, oh. I know, I know. God, I feel really bad about that now. But you, you brought up the the scene in the in the hospital waiting room where a woman in Julie's memory in her past is like, is he a better lover than I am? And you're like, wait a minute. She had an affair with a woman. But then that's gone. It never comes back. And I'm right. like, but this is interesting. Like, wait, <laughs> you know, this is what what does this tell us about Julie? What does this tell us about the institution of sex? What does this tell us about the relationship? Because this is a horny, horny movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, because, again, it, everything is centered around her husband's infidelities mm-hmm. and and what you would assume in 70s, late 60s, early 70s lifestyle of New York socialites, where you would just assume, you know, that everyone's sleeping with everyone else, right? It's just a matter of, of, of course. Um, and, and, but it, you, you get the indication that, that Julie has been faithful, but she also realizes her place in this world where she is an object of desire. Right. But she has kids and she has, a, you know, a, a husband and, it probably is not. It doesn't seem like it's crossed her mind to actually act on those on, on you know on those impulses or men who have, who have attempted to or talked to her or tried to uh, you know seduce her, um, which you see a couple of times throughout the movie, even before you know her husband has fully passed away. Of course, yeah. and Phil, her husband doesn't really pass away until the very very end of the movie. But I mean, but she has found out about all of these like affairs, and so it's it's almost like she is. <laughs> she starts to use sex as a means towards information is that fair to say i mean i don't want to like paint this in a weird way but so their friend cal played by what's his name carl howard yeah um, i think so who's hunky in this film (laughs) right more hunky than i've ever seen before (laughs) he's a photographer and turns out that the woman he wants to marry has been carrying on this year-long affair with julie's husband and she wants to or can't decide if she wants to marry Julie's husband. But so she well, tries to have sex with him. But it seems like it's more of a she's using him to get things that she wants, which is sort of like further access or information to what was going on. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I think it, it, it is a moment of she is completely as she's navigating this world, she's completely lost. Right. Right. So I think this is her refinding herself in a lot of ways, because, again, she allows herself to be taken. She allows herself to have nude photos taken. Of right. Her. And, and her reaction to those nude photos, she's like, yeah, I do. I have a pretty good approximation of a nude woman, <laughs> which is a funny line. Right. I mean, and, yes. that's, but, and it's but it's also just like, oh, OK, well, that's all that is like it's like she's tasting all these things and trying to. I think potentially try to not only to try to find herself, but also try to find what her husband was actually doing and what mm-hmm. he was feeling mm-hmm. and, and and why maybe he was doing some of these things. I I I, th- I find that this is you know 
uh, going back to last week's episode about divorce, uh, potential divorce movies, this really is. Well, it, you know, it, it, her husband obviously, Lo- Lois's husband actually died, and, in, and her husband dies in this movie. It's not necessarily a divorce per se, but this is similar, right? I mean, this is similar to when you, when you find out someone's you know unfaithful, this kind of loss of self in this, or even with the divorce, whether or not it has infidelity or not. This, you know, trying to figure out who you are post a relationship of, or, you know, a coupling where you are, who you are as a single so, person. So it's a conscious uncoupling. <laughs> yes. it's very, How many people do you think got that, like, reference? <laughs> all the ones that listen. All the ones, yeah. All two people that listen to this podcast definitely got that. <laughs> totally. And because the two people that listen to this podcast are clearly Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin. <laughs> I bet Apple listens to it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. She's a huge May fan. <laughs> Yeah, who is it? Um, <laughs> and this episode is brought to you by Goop. <laughs> Need a vaginal egg? A special someone's birthday coming up soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, this, this this film, I, I I do want to paint like the picture of this film as being very horny, kind of racist in oh, parts. Oh, for sure. No, yeah, her husband's a piece of shit. Yeah, and and kind of rapey. Yeah. And and it, this film has. A fair bit of misogyny, but then also a fair bit of feminism in there as well, along with like sociopolitical satire or commentary and satire piled on top. It is a it's bug nuts. It's fucking crazy. And I I think it's good crazy. I mean, it, it, as much as I say that, I think I really did enjoy um, <laughs> squirming through this film, but it's just bizarre. I mean, the first like words we hear Julie say is about slavery, and I was like, "Wow!" Um, well, they have that whole conversation about which countries are, are ones with, that are that are passive, and which ones can we <laughs> invade. That was that was hilarious. So, but yeah, but, it was it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, that doesn't get made now, though, does it? I don't think it gets said like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you, I think you say it in just as racist. I think you just, you know, you just say shittle countries and then it's just, and then it's done. Right. Right. It's, right. You, you but I mean, say, it's like, it's films like Blazing Saddles too. I mean, where it's, a, we all recognize the kind of comedic genius, but you're like, that would never get made now. Right. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, I always push back a little bit on those because I think if you're in the right mindset and you do it and you handle the material the right way, I think, I think there's ways to, to, to not handle the material the right way, of course. But I do think that there are ways to still push boundaries and to still hold a mirror up to, you know, society or, or just you know, hip- hypocrisy or, or things like that. I think there's ways to do that. I think there's always going to be pieces of that type of satire that make us cringy. Look at something like idiocracy now. And still there's portions of it that don't necessarily play all that well but there i mean i but again do you really discount the entirety of the message because right. of upgrade or you know or, or and i mean it's uh, where do you i think you you it's a hard to kind of censor yourself but it's possible yeah I, I don't necessarily know if if blazing saddles gets made again but i do think there's ways to push boundaries and that it's a, it's a smart way to do it still can can get it through yeah i don't think this movie gets made today i don't because i don't think filmmakers like this exist anymore i don't think i don't think people like may i don't think people like altman that type of you see it more i guess with i i think the the art house film these days is trying to do so much more than be an 
just an art. There's there's got to be some sort of message to it. That you don't see a lot of like. I mean, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I'm misstating it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass, that's, Look, look. That's that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> and, and, right. and that's actually like a serious statement. Like, right, right. <laughs> but I, but I'm but you know what I mean. I'm like like these movies that just exist as simple stories on on the on the art house level. I think they're fewer and far between, especially the ones that bubble up to the top. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so mm-hmm. like you're not I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but but it, it doesn't seem like that's as prevalent. And not that this necessarily would be an art would be an art house film, but I don't necessarily know if there's a mainstream filmmaker that wants to make a heady posted, you know. But this would be an ind- it would be an indie for film. sure. And, and I think I think that's kind of what you're saying. And, and yeah, this would be I'd love to see this made now. I mean, it just take away because you could I mean, you can easily remove some of those those racist comments. And I, think, I don't think you need to because that, <clears throat> that character is a piece of shit. So, I mean, like, well, you can't right, have right, say right. colored country. So that's right? what I, mean, I, but that's, but, I, I guess so that's the, what I the mean. The dialogue like, is different, right? And, and, and I think, like, I, I was, as I was watching it, I was like, well, okay, I mean, this is what they said in 1971. Right. And I'm not excusing like that, but I mean, no. that's also true. But this we, is how so people we, talk. We would call it third world nation at this point. <clears throat> and it would be the developing, same thing. Developing nation. <laughs> right? Third world nation was a Cold War term. <laughs> so they would be called developing nations now. This has been your lesson on the preferred nomenclature for <laughs> <laughs> geopolitical. <laughs> I mean, there's still coded dog whistle terms we could use. Exactly. Yes. 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 So I don't, I, I do agree that this would be. Uh, an interesting film. One of the interesting things that they did from the book is that um, what's the actor's name? Is it James Coco? Was yes. It? Okay. So it's James Coco, who we've seen in other right in other Preminger films and mm-hmm. yes, and May, and May films. films, right? Um, in the book, he is much more of a hunky character. So there's a scene in the in the in the movie uh, where where you're right. She actually is trying to get information mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. this case, really about her husband and her. And the doctor is this kind of buffoonish, you know, slubbish. Just you know, he, he dresses kind of very flamboyantly. Like, I don't know if it's the '70s. That was very, all that flamboyant. In his car, yeah, his car is ridiculous. He drives a he drives a, a Corvette, and um, it's all white. <laughs> and Diane Cannon, Julie's character is trying to get information from about her husband and she ends up going down on him mm-hmm. in a very funny and like disarming scene, but also very degrading in a lot of ways. So this is what, this is what's so crazy about this movie. And I think we, you know, we talked about it just kind of telling people that listen, haven't seen it. It is every scene that is funny is also very harrowing and degrading and, and just and gut wrenching to the point where you don't know how you walk out of this film and you just don't know how to feel like I, when I first turned it off, I'm like, I don't know that was kind of, and then I get one more. I thought about it. And I didn't have time to revisit. I really wanted to revisit it today and I couldn't do it. But the more and more I thought about it, I was just like, holy shit, that was pretty fucking brilliant. Like this is, it's crazy. I can see like on the surface, you walking away from this and going, that was shit. I don't want it. Like, cause it is so like you said, it's bug nuts. It's like every, (laughs) and you, because I think that's how people feel in a situation like this. This is how Julie would feel. Her husband is dying. Her husband has illness after illness after illness, and it just continues to continues to to snowball. And her life continues to snowball. Also, all the people around her, all the people that she trusted, even her friend Cal, who is now objecting, objectifying her, and 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 basically doing. I don't know, treating her just like he's wanting to get revenge on a man who's basically about to die and on his wife. <laughs> right. And he, th- th- her whole world is disintegrating and she's trying to find, I think that's the whole point of this movie. And I think mm-hmm. this whole point of May's mm-hmm. script is that 
you know, we are meant to be unmoored, right? I mean, we are meant to be as, as loose as Julie is and try to bounce around from all these different emotions. And yeah, some of that stuff is going to be very, very darkly funny. And some of it's going to be very, very fucking degrading. And so she, <laughs> in a scene where she goes down on this, on this doctor who in, in, in a moment of like, it kind of taking him down a notch. He's trying to pull off a very <laughs> intricate girdle mm-hmm. and he can't get, and he doesn't want her to see it because he's embarrassed by and he's it. He's on the phone with a patient at the same time as all this is happening. <laughs> and she's like taking off of his shoes and socks and like, it's this, and it's this, the unsexiest, uh, sex scene, um, right? Sex scene ever. And he, so in the book, that was much more of a, the doctor pushes her down and it's kind of a, it's more of a, uh, you know, forced fellatio type thing, yeah. which is not two words that I thought I would say today on a podcast. <laughs> in, in the in the movie, this is much more Julie's um, doing. And again, in a moment of like, I'm sorry, I got some on your nose. Fucking just like, wow, that is a crazy fucking one. I know. For, I know. I was like, like 1971. It's it, just... <laughs> That was so that was something else about this film that it just holds like it, it doesn't pull any punches and it just says what it wants to say. I mean, take again from a female writer in 1971. <laughs> that's what like that's fucking how brave is that mm-hmm. that line? I mean, mm-hmm. throwing that in there is so. But but again, I think I mean, as you said, this is meant to portray a kind of reality, right? Or verisimilitude of this is how we feel. This is what we go through. These are the actions we're willing to take when we feel unmoored when we're trying to figure all this shit out when our world has just become something completely else and we're now detached from from everything we thought we we thought we knew that makes i mean a scene like that makes unfortunately like perfect sense right right, right. and of course this guy would say i mean the guy's a piece of all, look all the men in this movie Every, everybody's basically well, everybody's a piece everybody's of shit for yeah. julie really and even julie is doesn't come out unscathed no no i mean i don't think I don't think she's meant to be our heroine or that we're supposed to look at her as this. But this this goes back to how Priminger kind of translates May's interpretation of this character. So, I mean, so we're like going through like layers of translation. I mean, is she supposed to be stronger than she? I mean, look, at the end, I think she, the end of the film, she walks away from everybody. She grabs her kids and she leaves her apartment, right, and, and goes to sort of take a walk and sort of consider, and consider Park, life. And basically it. Yeah. And her mom's like, do you want me to go with you? And she's like, no, no mother. And then, then that's roll credits. Right. And we get a sense of, of like her finally maybe claiming this kind of new independence and sort of seeing that like life ahead of her, she's get, she's going to decide what life is ahead of her now. I mean, and maybe that's like just my reading of that kind of ellipsis ending. But, but none of that like happens before. And I wonder, I just wonder if... Is she supposed to be stronger to begin with or or not? Yeah, I mean, that, it, it, going through and like we did with Schrader, right? With what, how would these films be different if the author directed right. this? I think the film would have been like, I think it would have been much more. I think you would have understood Julie better. I think you would have. I think you would have gone on like the, the ups and downs with her. And like you would have. I don't know. I think you would have understood her journey a little. I mean, like I think it wouldn't have been quite so jarring throughout the entire. It wouldn't have been quite so bug nuts, to, you know, from the from, from, <laughs> right, from, from, from jump. So I think you know. I think May probably makes this film funnier. I think this is this is a, like if you take a look look at what I don't know if this this is is this film a meaner version of a new leaf and heartbreak kid. 
And does she keep that meanness through the movie if she directs it? I think yes. I think so too. I think it's just a little bit more cohesive with her directive style. I also think that we would be allowed to linger more in the scenes. I think this would have been a little bit longer, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it probably would have come out in like 75 rather than 71. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But I think we would have we would have lingered longer in the waiting room scene yes, where, where yeah. everyone's giving blood, right? Or, or, or and we would have waited a little bit longer in the party scenes, and we would have had a little bit more, um, I, I don't know, just a little bit more time to breathe with these characters mm-hmm. to let those moments not hit as a joke, but kind of hit and let us laugh and also feel uncomfortable, which we already did. But like, kind of sit in that moment of. You just to kind of take a breath here and and also just to let the let the characters play out. I don't know. Like I have not I've watched a few Diane Cannon things. I'm not like I don't know if she would have been the person May would have chosen for this role. I think she would have chosen someone a little bit more like herself. I don't think she would have been in the role, but I think you would have gone with somebody a little bit more like herself. Not to say, and I think Diane Cannon was actually pretty good in this movie. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, and, I, and the things I, I feel like she, again, I haven't watched all of her films, but I feel like, you know, things like Death Trap and, and Last of Sheila, she gets this kind of like shrillish, um, like typecasting, which I don't think is actually really all that fair for her. And I mean, she's kind of got this sex symbol kind of bombshell mm-hmm. like uh, personality, but I think she she acquits herself very well in this film. I just don't know if that's what Elaine May would have gone with. But well, I, I, th- I think she's I think Elaine May is much more nuanced than Priminger as well. And I think sure. that's I think that's what we'd also see in this film is is more nuanced, more more of that kind of um, what did we say eclectic idiosync yeah. idiosyncrasies in this film. And I think you're right in those those like cameo scenes, right? The the, the waiting room, some of the party scenes. She's so good at showing us what's happening kind of in the background, which Preminger just kind of like buzzes through. And I'm like, wait, just kind of linger. Just watch this stuff happen, which we see later that Nichols, I think, does a pretty good job of that, actually, with 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 her work, which is why you see her name on the on on the film and not and because she took her name off of this one. And I think but a lot of that was because other people had worked on it before. Her, true. She true. didn't want. Yeah, she was like, I don't know. If she like it, because what I read was from Primager's son is that it was pretty much filmed the way that it was. It was written. Now, that isn't there's a lot of nuance to a script to filming a script. Well, right. And, right. And, right. And vision. Right. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I yeah. kind of lost my train of thought. But, there, but, but I but, do that all the time. <laughs> I just like I just say something else with with uh, apparent confidence and no one figures it out. But I <laughs> just yeah. But if you do it, with, but if you do it with like a little bit of gravitas and, and I'm supposed to be here, <laughs> right? I'm important. God damn it. <laughs> yes, sir. Most people avoid most people avoid conflicts. So they just will never challenge you. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Um, I, you, yeah, I, I would. Think, I just think that there's a lot more. Um, I think that, like I said, I think that there's maybe and also just a little bit there's a there's a polish to this film that doesn't quite exist for New Leaf and Heartbreak Kid. And I think that that would have been toned down if May had taken this taken this over as well. I think. And but again, I think we're allowed to live with the background characters a little bit more as well. Um, And I think that's something that, you know, Nichols also understood when he was making his films was that um, there's moments of funny that are there that I don't think Primager is able to really kind of mine. And so I think this would have been more of a tour de force uh, and more. I think this would have been a funnier film had May obviously been a part of it. I mean, been a part of the directing. 
So, yeah, I think this out of all of the four that we're going to talk about today, this would have been the one that I would have really loved to see May been able to take on and do. And it's not that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a a huge premature completist or anything like that, but I and I don't dislike his films. But I don't think he has. But I think to me, he's much more workmanlike than than um, than someone like May is. Oh, yeah, I agree. hundred percent. So last thing. Yes. You're asking if I had any last thoughts. Did you take notice of the horrific stuffed whatever the fuck it was in the kids' room in between their two beds? I, okay, so go back and I'll watch. Have to go back and sit. It is horrifying. I okay. don't know what it is, okay. but it like stuck out to me. It's like I don't this know like how I missed that. <laughs> just like this skinnerine type doll oh, that sits in their bedroom. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the kids are asking for like dad the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> And there's all kinds of weird noises and shit. <laughs> okay, so I'll have to go back and look at the creepy stuff in that film. That's not the, that's not a good last point, but but uh, no, no, but 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 it's another reason to go watch um, such good friends. It, it it really is worth, I think, your time to to take a look at because yeah, I can't I, say you're gonna love it. No, but, minutes, but but I was like you. I finished it. and I was like, I don't know. But the more I thought, the more I sat. I'm like, oh, that's good. I. It, I think it's a good film. Do you think we have uncomfortable movies like that anymore? See, well, that was part of my question, too, with, like, does this get made? And it's like, I don't know. Look, we, we off mic, we talked about Closer, and I didn't respond because I'm like, I like Closer, but... Um, but I think that's an uncomfortable movie as well. Right. But again, like that was how many years ago? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. I mean, not, not a lot, <laughs> lot but, like, but enough. More than one. Uh, <laughs> so like, I don't know that we have those kind of uncomfortable films. Yeah, that are not like uh, Danny McBride type uncomfortable, right? right. I mean, like, or, or like someone's in peril uncomfortable. Right. 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 Yeah. Something like observe and report like these Jody Hill, like I, and that's a different, not that I'm, I'm not bashing those films that they're not, they're not this, like you talk about, and we go back to like Pete and Tilly, where these, there's just these like movies that exist to like, they're just stories that are being told and they're not forgiving. <laughs> right. Like, and there's not some sort of great big, huge character arc or, um, you know, any sort of growth. And I guess we, that kind of reminds me of her and, the, but that doesn't make me uncomfortable. It just made me mad. <laughs> so that, you know, it's, well, but I think what you're saying is there's a ways to, there's a way to do this that is, is effective and, and, and her wasn't it. <laughs> right. Not to harp. Not to, not to go. I know. I know. Let's, let's not fall down that, that rabbit hole again. Okay. You want to talk about heaven can wait? Boy, do I. This was. <laughs> so directed by Warren Beatty. This is 78. Beatty also stars. Biddy also has a co-writing credit, although I don't know. I, I sometimes I feel like Beatty just inserts himself. Yeah, this seems to. This is a vanity project for Beatty, hundred yeah. right. percent. Well, originally wanted Muhammad Ali to do it, but Ali was like, "Still boxing, leave me the fuck alone." Um, well, that's that, that's how I imagine that conversation went. And okay, so have you seen Here Comes Mister? I haven't. I haven't. And I and I didn't. It's the same movie. I mean, oh, it's, right. It's right. meaner. It's, he's a, he's a boxer, and Here Comes Mister Jordan. He's a boxer and an amateur pilot. Right. Yeah, and a and a saxophone, and a, an amateur saxophonist, which right. is which is the same basically thing in in Heaven Can Wait. Right. So, except he's a football player. He's a, he's a, he's a quarterback, right? So the rundown is uh, Warren Beatty is a quarterback um, coming off of an injury for the Los Angeles Rams. This is going to be his big comeback year. While he is training, he is bicycling on the California coast, goes through a tunnel, and uh, a car is coming the other way, or big trucks coming the other way in Heaven, I guess. Which is obviously in you know in the title of the movie. Uh, there are auditors that um, take our souls and bring them up to purgatory, 
which is a way station where there's a, a very nice plane waiting to take you to your final destination. Right. Whether that be heaven or hell or, or whatever seventh level, I don't even there know. Is, there is no hell. <laughs> we, all go, we all go to heaven. We're like dogs. That's, that's nice. That's nice, Brock. I like that. And so, <laughs> if we can leave you with one thing. <laughs> we are like dogs. <laughs> we are dogs. <laughs> dogs that go to heaven. And so this this auditor's brand new. This is his first soul that he's overseeing. So there's played by to, Buck Henry. Played by Buck Henry, yes. And he prematurely pulls out Warren Beatty's soul from his body, brings him up to purgatory. Warren Beatty very pressing. He understands that he shouldn't be there yet. They look at the uh, James Mason, who is the um, the next level up from from. He's a Buck middle. Henry. He's a middle manager, <laughs> right in heaven. And he's great in this movie, oh, by so, the way. He's, he's so he's, good. He's, he's just he's, he's like so the, the peak James Mason S. I just hear him say Lolita all like, over. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's not giving him enough credit. Um, so they check the books, and it turns out that Warren Beatty wasn't supposed to die uh, for another forty or fifty years. So they are going to take him back down to Earth, but it turns out that his body's been cremated, and um, so now they're trying to make it right, and they are looking for a body for him. So he ends up getting. Um, he, they go through and they look for a lot of different bodies. None of them are, are sufficient enough. Uh, they find a temporary body in. Um, I can't remember his name now. His um, uh, the character's name is Farnsworth. Farnsworth, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a very rich white guy name. So. Right, because he's a wealthy industrialist. Right, right? he's yeah. a wealthy industrialist, and Warren Beatty um, is doesn't want Farnsworth either. But while he's looking at Farnsworth's life, uh, Julie Christie comes in, and she is this um, representative, school teacher representative of this small town where Farnsworth is going to build this. Uh, you know, whatever he's going to build some sort of, it's like of, a power plant. Yeah. I mean, she's got like an environmentalist kind of, yeah. And Beatty, ba- Beatty connects with her. Um, you know, he sees her and obviously she's is, Julie Christie. How is, do you not connect with her? <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> and this is meant to be, although it's funny to me because it's, it, it, this is clearly a Warren Beatty movie because Warren Beatty is much more pretty than Julie Christie has made out to me in this movie the entire time. And, Ju- and Julie Christie's phenomenal. Gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Right. But, but Beatty is like, preening and primping the entirety of this movie. But this is supposed to be their soulmate with one another. So he decides to stay in Farnsworth for a little bit and help her out, help her out. And then then he can go and find a body for which he can then become a Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. So he goes down in Farnsworth. He up he upends Farnsworth wife life. Now, all the while, right, also a wife. So all the while, um, um, the reason that Farnsworth's body is available is because his um, <clears throat> his gentleman's gentleman and his wife are tr- are having an affair. What what does Groden call himself? Okay. He calls him like his personal executive secretary or some kind of like trumped up title. And, and I couldn't remember what, but he says it every time. And I just, it just, I think it's very Groden-esque and it's like delivery. <laughs> so played by Diane Cannon and Charles Groden, they are trying to kill him. And basically take all of his money. You know, they're basically trying they're to They're having take, an affair. Right. They're having an affair and they're trying to take his money. Obviously, Beatty is aware of this because he's taken Farnsworth's body. He's able to keep all of his memories while he's Farnsworth. So he upends Farnsworth's life. <clears throat> they um he upends the business and oh, he tries to he he starts to fall in love with Julie Christie. She starts to fall in love with him. He starts to train with the Los Angeles Rams. He buys the Los Angeles Rams so he can become the Super Bowl winning quarterback. Alas, that doesn't happen because of some contrived plot device of um, 
This was only temporary. Right. It was only, only Joe. It was it's only temporary. Right. It was only temporary. And, and the body that he was <clears throat> is going to move into, which is actually the quarterback, the current quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams, has a sort of head injury, very pressing of <laughs> NFL. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so as the overtime of the Super Bowl is happening, he has to take over the body of that QB. So he does actually become a Super Bowl winning quarterback. But sound that the potty is permanent he cannot keep, no longer keep his memory so he uh becomes this quarterback his, his his previous self is lost he sees julie christie coming through to talk to his old trainer who has been made aware that it's that it's um you know born Beatty in this body and farnsworth body and they have a connection and that's basically it that's they the go movie. out to get coffee and yeah <laughs> right yeah so it's a it's and, and so this was this was a uh a movie it was based on a broad it was based on a play um it, actually the movie came first but it was based on a play and then the play came out and the play was called <clears throat> excuse me the play was called heaven can wait Earth. maybe it was called down to earth no it was I, i'm pretty it was sure it was heaven, called so the, yeah, no was, there was there was an ernst lubitsch movie called heaven can wait that isn't Right, that's not, that's not related. Yeah, we so always get that mixed up. So I think the plays Heaven Can Wait. They made Here Come Mr. Jordan and then Heaven Can Wait. Now, there's a t- sequel to uh, Here Comes Mr. Jordan called Down to Earth. There's a sequel to Heaven to Kevin, Kevin Can Wait, which is actually not really a sequel, but it's a remake of Down to Earth called Xanadu, which I'm sure you're, everyone's familiar with. And then there was actually a Chris Rock remake in 2001-ish uh, called Down to Earth. And... Um, so those that's the like the the down to earth Kevin can heaven can wait uh, universe um, is, that's that's a that it's <laughs> the wrapped extended up. universe there. here comes Sir Jordan is basically the exact same plot yeah. um, except for the, they replace football with boxing and it has a much more it's a meaner streak it's a, you know it's a pre code I don't know if it's pre code but it's nineteen it's nineteen forty one um, basically it's very much like a nineteen forty one movie where. Everyone's a, everyone's terrible except for Julie Christie and Orrin Beatty's character, which is that's not who they were played by. Um, so there's a meaner stream. They, they weren't in 19. They weren't also in the 1941 movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you're keeping up at home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the characters were a little different. I mean, so like Farnsworth or, or whomever in the original wasn't like the same kind of industrialist who was right. polluting like a, a Welsh kind of like village or whatever. I mean, so they were a little bit different there. Um, Joe was a boxer, not a quarterback, but a lot of the same, like it's the same plot, the same beats happen. Joe in the original loses his memory, right? Loses his memory in, in this one as well. I mean, this is kind of like at least this version. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't seek out here comes Mr. Jordan. Like you did, like you said, you carry this podcast. That's, <laughs> that's fine. I'm here as a pretty face, but I mean, this is like one of those old kind of Hollywood screwball comedies. I mean, to, to an extent, because Beatty is an idiot in this film. I mean, half the time he's just working out. He's a buffoon. He's just, there are some really funny moments there where he's like, why am I always dressed up like, dressed up like a sailor? Well, you love the sea, sir. Oh, did I sail a lot? No. <laughs> do I play? Do I play polo? Not much, sir. <laughs> All of the hats. He's always wearing these different hats, and he's like, "Why do I love these hats so much?" Well, you've just always been fond of hats, sir. I mean, this is funny. These are, these are funny things, but I mean, he is just kind of a buffoon throughout the whole throughout the whole thing, and so it is kind of that like rom com old style. Yeah, this is a. Simple- do you think he was trying to be Cary Grant? Kind of, you know, because I Diane Cannon was married to Cary Grant, right? Right, and yeah. they wanted Cary Grant for the James Mason. Role. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but Cary Grant wouldn't come out of retirement for it. 
but they were hoping that Cannon would like, be able to like pull him out of it. Um, <laughs> which I think James Mason is the perfect is great for this role. He's so good in it. This movie is fine. It's not like I, I mean, I know we're kind of joking about it, but. I mean, it, it got nominated for a lot. It got like, a lot of. Like, they got a Beatty writing got nomination, like three different nominations, yeah. right? I mean, so, and and like if you were to watch it, like I, I enjoyed watching it again. It's just yeah. something that I just don't like. I think it's fun to see Deacon Jones too in a movie, and like just the kind of you know these kind of old school Rams characters, and I think right, some of that right. stuff is funny, you know, from a football perspective. Uh, just watching them like cream um, Warren Beatty over and over and over again, um, <laughs> right? Just like openly smash me. It's such a ridiculous and ludicrous. It makes more sense as a boxer, to be fair. Like it, like a singular sport makes more sense. Where it, obviously it, it doesn't mean like trying to 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 build up someone who <laughs> to get into fighting shape. Maybe in the 1940s when everyone was you know, basically just doughy. Here's your, here's your pack of cigarettes. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, lay off the bread. Right. Smoke five of these every morning. Right. right here. Here's your here's your bourbon <laughs> and your raw egg. This is how I used to train. Just, just for like the week, just right. for live, just, just right. for, it was just next, for it was life. No, it was just, no, yeah. no, it was, but it was training. I, I <laughs> didn't have it. Oven, numb so. yourself because like we've stated, the world is on fucking fire. So watch heaven can wait. <laughs> um, here's something else. I mean, like, I, look, I think, I think if, again, we said this with, with such good friends. If May directs this, I think there's a different ending. I think it's a little colder and sharper. I, I mean, I think that. Beatty is really intent on making this kind of love story, this kind of rom-com in the way he, the way that they, and I know Buck Henry co-directed it. I'm not quite sure how all that worked, but yeah, that's a weird thing. I, mean, yeah. I never really didn't dig too much into it, but, but that what, was a bizarre. What I heard was that the actors and Beatty felt more comfortable with someone like another actor helping direct. I don't know, whatever. But the way that like he will frame Christie's face and like these kind of dreamy close-ups. And I mean, it's clear that he doesn't want that kind of a new leaf vibe or right, right. that kind of like sharp, again, nuanced, but yet kind of dark, just a little bit mean and a little bit dark. And I think that I think would have been a more interesting. Obviously, I want Elaine May to direct everything. Right? <laughs> but I, you know, and again, I think like the ending is very much like, it. I don't know. It's too precious. It's too sweet. It's too. Yeah. I mean, look, this is this uh, 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 when the 1941 version is meaner than your version. <laughs> it, it, that says something. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It, one, I think if May directs this, I think Groden and Cannon get a much uh, higher bill. I think they have way more to do than just being this slapsticky couple that are always trying to pull these. I think the death scenes and the, and the, the attempts are much more elaborate. I think yeah. they're funnier. And, and you know, I think. I think everyone gets elevated and Beatty gets brought down a little bit because the Jack Warden character is great. Like that, that sequence in of like, I think there's so much humanity to this film that is not like, this is just a, like you said, it's just a rom-com. This is a feel good movie, yeah. but the shit that happens to Jack Warden is devastating. This was okay. I, you know, I've seen this film several times, but I always watched it. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long, long sure. time. And Why so I had seen it when I was younger, teenager, and kind of like those years. And I remember it being much more heartbreaking because I don't remember the last bit of uh, Julie Christie and Warren Beatty going off together. I just remember the Jack Warden part of him realizing, oh, he doesn't remember me anymore. He's gone. And that always kills me. So I'm watching it again this time. and I'm like, wait, there's more <laughs> because right. that was the I always thought that was the end of that film. And it was just it's so heartbreaking, I think. And and see that I, I do think I, I do think that 
you're left with this kind of cynical take on, I don't know, whatever humanity and the nature of the soul is. And this, this idea that we're soulmates and like that it carries over from person to person. I, I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if May brings that. I don't think yeah. May has that inner to like to let that kind of sentimentality like carry over. It should be a moment of warden. Like I think how May would have ended this. And of course, how fucking presumptuous of me to say that. Right. I know that's but like, OK, so how I would have speaking ended of it, soulmates, <laughs> how I would have ended it would have been warden comforting Christie and realizing that. This person that they cared about is, and of course, Christy doesn't understand the, the whole premise, right? So that's a little bit of a, maybe a, a stretch because Christy doesn't understand that Farnsworth was somebody else before mm-hmm. they were Farnsworth. Mm-hmm. And, but if, you know, if, if she had been privy to Farnsworth was now moving into this, like this, it's just, it, like Warden could have let her know the story. I don't know. Having Warden and Christy kind of commiserate this idea of a lost, a lost soul, because it's exactly what happens, right? right. It's just, it, and so, I, this this idea that we can overcome that and it's it, it's kind of weird it's a weird thing yeah. to have like like it's not really him anymore and but it okay but now we're but we're supposed to think maybe it will be in a way kind of right because when he's when 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 Beatty takes over this final life he loses all of his memories he loses everything that was him and now he's behaving as this person so it's just it's really yeah, I agree. It's I, weird, I just yeah. don't I, it, it, like it. Sentimentality fake. You're like, OK, fine. You know, it's like I hate they'll, sentimentality. They'll love each other afterwards and it'll all be great. And it'll be a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Fine. Great. Awesome. But yeah, I think this is a funnier film. I think like, I, I think I, 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 I think it's unfortunate that you waste. You say this about so many roles of Grodin's, but like you waste Grodin in these roles of like give him more to do. Because he's he really is so good, and he's he's really good in roles like this. I mean, th- this kind of character, this yeah, kind this of like Weasley suck up, <laughs> right? But right. always I got something on the side going here. Right? I mean, he's he's got these kind of just like machinations going on and in plots and 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 schemes. And but at the same time, yeah, he's just a weasel. But he's that was the thing that I was looking about this this movie. I think Beatty <clears throat> desperately wants to be Hal Ashby in this film. And it yeah. just never doesn't understand what Hal Ashby was about at all. Like, yeah, if May has this and maybe I'm maybe we're ascribing something that's not there. But if May has this, this feels like being there or it feels like Harold and Maude. This becomes a fucking classic, whereas now it's kind of a forgotten footnote. I mean, look, I know it won a lot. I mean, I know it was nominated and I know it's still looked upon as a good film, but it's not a great film. Right. And it's and it's. You know, it was perfectly fine. I enjoyed watching it again because it feels like that that era, right? It just feels it just feels good to be in that kind of like movie making time frame. <laughs> um, somehow, pain feels good and heartbreak feels good in a place oh, like God. this. <laughs> and if there was any part of Brock's soul left yeah. in his body, it's completely gone now. And again, gave Jason the finger <laughs> as it as it left. No, but I like I like these like because uh, again I I kind of grew up in this like video era of like I mean this would have been too young I would have been too young for this when it came out but going back and watching these films that were you know seemed as seen as classics and also readily available on cable and what have you um, going back and watching them just feels like comfort food and that's exactly what this movie is but there's yeah. no bite to it there's no uh, Groden and canon are, are three stooges the death scenes are played as g-rated as they possible not that i want them to be gored up or anything but i do like <laughs> it would be funnier if they're <laughs> i mean like there should be played for laughs there, there there's there's humor to be mined there right. and it's just right. eh, okay they're not right. really i mean like it's they're not really they don't really do anything well like, think of think about how how the sort of 
the death scenes or the sort of death plotting in a new leaf plays out. They're kind of funny. I mean, right, she's right, hanging yeah. off a cliff trying to get a furniture. He's reading about poisons and, and not realize, realizing, like, oh, I just kind of like. <laughs> but th- <laughs> right, that's right. funny, right? And there's a real sense of danger there as well. And there wasn't here. I mean, yeah, there's nothing, nothing so, here. In fact, they are just a plot device. They are just a, just, just a way to get you to say, okay, which again, they aren't needed. Farnsworth could have had a heart attack. It could have been anything, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really have to matter. Be, yeah. Like this idea that this idea, you need canon there because you need some sort of conflict with with Julie Christie and having him have some sort of reservation. But she can be a wife who's having an affair who doesn't love her husband. The, the affair can be. I mean, but all of these kind of like uh, uh, attempted murders, like you're saying, right? It doesn't. You're not doing anything with them. So, <laughs> right, right, yeah. So another another opportunity missed, but it and and. Yeah, it's like I said. I'm, I guess Beatty, Beatty gets his, uh, his his nominations and yeah. gets to f- prolong his career. I, I mean, I think too that, that Beatty, like Priminger, isn't quite sure what to do with 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 May's ideas, with May's kind of um, script work. And I know, again, like I know Beatty has a has a co writing credit there, but uh, I feel like it's more of him going, "No, we can't do this. I'm directing. I want to do it this way." Kind of. I don't know. Did he direct after Dick Tracy? I'm trying to think, did he do Bullworth? Like, did he direct Bullworth? Because I can't remember now what... Uh, yeah, he did direct. He did He did direct Bullworth. I, I like Bull. I mean, all <laughs> the films I like, I guess. I mean, like, I, I, I can't say that I... I mean, I, I'm not going to go back and defend Dick Tracy necessarily. And I guess he did um, Bugsy, right? Mm-hmm. He would have directed... So he directed mm-hmm. basically all of his starring roles he directed afterwards. He's done no, Barry di- Levinson directed oh, Bugsy. Oh, did, did Barry Levinson do that? Mm-hmm. He's not a dynamic director. No. Oh. I mean, he's not like uh, uh, the storyline in Bullworth was fine. Um, Reds is a fine movie, but like I, what he brings to the table again is just another workmanlike uh, effort of putting. He knows how to shoot a film, and that's that's. There's nothing you know wrong yeah. with that. But it, but as far as like bringing a visual flair to it or any sort of nuance, I don't think Warren Beatty's your guy. No. I've seen him in Madonna's Truth or Dare. I didn't think there was a whole lot of nuance even then either. So no. um, talk about a relationship of like utter convenience of like, okay, I'm directing you and, and, and Dick Tracy. So let's date for a while at, at the height of her. Like, um, it's just that, it, that, that is totally just a notch on the, on the bedpost. Yeah. Right? I mean, that is for both of them. Right. Yeah. He's kind of gross. <laughs> uh, you know what? I like an, um, Annette Benning. I mean, so, you know, I do too. No, I like Annette Benning. I do too. So if he, if he had to settle with somebody, I think not settled. I did that back. I don't mean to say settled, but if he settled down with somebody, wow. <laughs> I did say it. I didn't mean it. I mean, I meant it, but I didn't mean for you to hear me mean it, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, one one last thing for me on this film was I like how, and I know this is in the original, but I like how Beatty's carrying around the saxophone reminds me of Mathau's helmet in in A New Leaf and how yeah. those things yes. kind of like yes. this, this like running joke of this thing that he carries around. And no one says anything about it. It's just there. There's a great, like, if you go and watch Here Comes <clears throat> Mr. Jordan, the, he, the way that he dies is not on a bicycle. He's flying a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, the the plane crash scene is so very 1940s 1941 like just <laughs> it is a very obvious toy plane <laughs> crashing into a very obvious toy mountain <laughs> Okay. Um, do you think Mike Nichols is a dynamic director? Ooh, that is a good question. I think he can be. I do you think he is in the birdcage? Mm. So these next two are hard for me to like pull apart 
Right. I, I know. I because I, I, guess I think that they're they're so closely aligned and I think May knew how to write for Mike, mm-hmm. um, especially at this point in their careers where they've kind of come back around and then, they're, you know, they're not a strange. I mean, I don't know how long the estrangement actually lasted, um, but they're friends again. They're working together again. Um, I don't think I don't find anything too terribly dynamic about the birdcage from a directorial. There's not it's not visually exciting aside from the Miami Beach. I think um, the opening shot is really cool. I will give you where that. it like flies in yeah. over the bay and then this long tracking shot. Right that is there, a good like shot. Over the street into the club. I, I think that's a really good. That's a really cool way to open that film. And now we're in this world. Right. And we see kind of the outside. But here, this is where we are. I feel like Mick Nichols is, but that's in the script. Actually, that's in the screenplay. That shot, right? I think Nichols is very much a director of each of the eras that he's. His films fit the time frame of and when of when they're made. Like if you look at his seventies output and his early sixties or late sixties output, you got the Graduate and you got these. I mean, so I think that they Who's were afraid the, of Virginia Woolf. Yeah, they're on the forefront, right? But like when he gets into the seventies, you got Carnal Knowledge. Um, it, it feels like movies that were being made at that particular point in time. You look at the movies that he did in the 80s, like Postcards from the Edge and Heartburn and Silkwood. Those feel like fucking 80s movies, right? I mean, like like they're Gar- and then they're American Gigolo-esque, right? It's just, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, so like, I don't, I, I hate to diminish his work because I enjoy it, but I don't necessarily know, like, like if you didn't tell me that Mike Nichols directed Primary Colors, I wouldn't have guessed Mike Nichols, right? I would have just guessed... Joe Blow director. And so, no. That's kind of how I feel about The Birdcage, too. Right. There's nothing about that that, that links me to these other... Well, and that's not to say that every director has to be an auteur. I don't, I don't mean that. But like you're saying, there's these kind of like fit into a, a gap in time rather than fit into somebody's filmography. Right. I think he knows how to film comedy. I mean, I think he's a funny guy. I think he knows, I think he knows the nuance. And so, I, I mean, I think Birdcage is a significantly better film than La Caja Falls. Um, it, and I don't think that's just because of the actors that he got to play the roles. No. I think, I mean, I think so, something on that, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean to step on you, and I mean no. to jump ahead, but I think this is such a great role, a great turn from Robin Williams. And I think that is in part down to, I mean, yes, him, but also how he works with May and Nichols. I think May writes in enough stuff or May writes in enough room to let Robin Williams kind of go. And Nichols knows how to sort of keep him tethered. And I, I think those three are so like, I think they work really well collaboratively in this film. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Now you're aware that Williams was supposed to take the Nathan Lane role though, right? I didn't know that. No. Yeah. So yeah. this was a Steve Martin, Robin Williams film at first. And Martin Williams was supposed to be Armand. And no, I'm sorry. Steve, Steve Martin, Martin was supposed to be Martin Armand. Williams. This Martin like, Williams. <laughs> I like that. Though. That's great. Um, Martin, I think, was busy wrapping up. There was something else that he couldn't do it. And so and then Nichols really wanted Lane for the role, but they but they switched the role. So this was intended to be. And also Robin Williams was a little hesitant because he had just done Mrs. Doubtfire and didn't want another drag role. Like not not because it was like he was against the drag or anything like that, but it was more like, I don't want to be I don't want to follow. I don't want to do the same thing again. Right. I mean, in in a way. Yeah. So that was that was the original cast and it just didn't work out. And then. 
because this is like Lane's breakout role. I mean, right. So this is, and and Nichols had seen him on something on Broadway. Well, he had done it. He'd done a ton of stuff on, on stage. Right. Yeah. And so the, yeah, I mean like, so, but it would have been a completely, obviously a completely different film. I don't think this film works nearly as well. Uh -uh. If it's, Uh -uh. if Martin is playing the straight man and and Robin is, is playing the flamboyant. I think that's what it's too expected. Right. I mean, and I think he goes too big. Yeah. I mean, I think he can do, and that's what, I mean, that's what I like about him in this role is he can kind of do both he can have these like serious acting moments and then he can just kind of let go and the i'm thinking like specifically of the choreographer scene where he's like and you do martha graham martha graham michael kidd michael kidd madonna but none of that's in the script like that's all him and that's what's so great and then he kind of like tones it down but the part is then, that is in the script is the killer line that you for fucking forget because he's so big and he's like but keep all that inside. but keep all that inside yes yeah but, but you do it all in here yeah yes which is so right as he walks away <laughs> right it's, it's it's but again like so this goes back to elaine may that's in all of her all of those lines and there were so many in these other films that i just like missed like like, I mean, like the sailing, you know, line in, in heaven can wait. Oh, do I, do I say a lot? No, sir. And it's just gone. Like, but right. they just drop in and that's, you have to, any movie that she writes or directs, it's like, you have to watch multiple, multiple times to catch everything. And you're still going to miss stuff that you're going to see again on reviewing. So, right. Right. You want to give us a synopsis of what uh, the bird. Uh, um, sure. Because it's a thing we do, right? I mean, so it, it is. And I, I, the bird I, I didn't like write any of this. Stuff no, but you, but so, yeah. so, so Robin Williams plays Armand. He's an openly gay man in South beach. He owns a drag club. It's mm-hmm. what we can call it. Right? Yeah. And his longtime partner, Nathan Lane, whose character's name is Albert and has a stage name of Starina is kind of the headliner of this club. Everyone's there to kind of see. So he, I, Nathan Lane's character identifies as a man, as a man in drag, not as a woman in any way. That's what I understand. That's what well. I understand too. Even though that there are times when their live-in maid played by Hank Azaria, Agador Spartacus will sometimes call Nathan Lane Miss Albert. Okay, so they're together. Nathan Lane, Albert thinks that Armand is having an affair uh, because they're like, you know, there's there's wine chilling and there's an extra glass out. It turns out that Nathan Lane has a son named Val who he had. Who yeah, Robin Williams. He, Robin Williams, I'm sorry, has a has a son named Val, the product of a one night stand with um, Christine Baranski. Christine Baranski. <laughs> and he is there. To, he is there to tell Robin Williams that he is getting married to a woman. Robin Williams is 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 heartbroken and is upset, but it, it it's fine. It turns out though that it really shouldn't be because they're way too young to get married. This she is true. Just to, she's thirty, but she just turned, turned 18. eighteen, and he's twenty in the film. I don't know how old he is. He's in real like twenty seven okay. in real life. Okay, but, but yeah, so they're too young, and that's the, uh, yeah. In an early early yeah, pre Alan pre Alan yeah. Right? So he finally gives. He gives him his blessings. But it turns out that Calista Flockhart comes from a, an arch conservative family. Gene Hackman, <laughs> her parents played by Gene Hackman and Diane Weist. Um, he is a, a conservative a senator or congressman. I, I don't remember. I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. Please, I couldn't remember. Yeah. But he is a and this majority. Is moral, yes, he is one of the founders. And I forget exactly what they call it, but he's one of the co-founders of a moral <laughs> right. majority like kind of caucus. It turns out that his his co-founder, his partner. But and what I mean is his partner in crime, not his like, you know, partner like Robin Williams, Nathan Lane partner <laughs> was found dead in the bed of a 
teenage hooker. And if that's not bad enough, Gene Hackman says, and she's also black. <laughs> so, so, which is a carryover from the 1978 version. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, but again, like it makes sense and works in this. It works. In this it works for, it, yeah, as well. it's for them as well. It's played. I don't like how that's played in this movie at no, all. No. No. I, it really is like in, and I get that 1996, we, yeah. we should be, so in, in 1978, this movie comes out in France, which right. seems to be then groundbreaking, right? Because not necessarily groundbreaking, I would say, but, uh, you know, we weren't seeing movies made about the acceptance of homosexuality and drag. And, and so it makes sense for a 1978, f- a French film to be kind of lauded for that in 1996 film in the U S and I'm guessing we're still lauding at that point as well. Like well, and I think I think too, but I think this is where the politics come in, right? And I think this is one reason that we're lauding it because it's like if we if if a movie I'm trying to think of if there's anything that's come out lately, but if a new movie about um, transgendered characters came out and we're like, wow, this is this is groundbreaking. Well, it's not really. I mean, we've talked about films that deal with you know that have transgender characters right. on this podcast, but if you look at all the political stuff going on it can feel even more groundbreaking, right? Or it can feel again groundbreaking, I think. Yeah, there's there's a few things about this movie that are problematic, I guess, looking at it today. But that whole particular scene, it's not so much that they call out that she's black, which of course is, is a carryover from the original script. Right. But the fact that they they add upon, like they in, the interview scene with her seems unnecessary yes. to the plot. And it doesn't, yes. it seems unfairly mean and also just racist. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, 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 it, it, it also, I don't know. It's, it feels very much like the, the, you know, the prostitution scene in lost in translation where it's just not needed. And, it, right. and you're pointing right. out you're punching down in a weird you way. already said right you yeah. said black like, right and you understand that the moral majority is obviously and especially in you know in night the way that you're portraying these characters as these kind of like backwards stuck in you know in, in this because well, this is a new gingrich type character right right and so you that you understand where they would be appalled by it but then when you show the black prostitute and make her seem you know not as intelligent unintelligent as, and, and and to you know have what she says and then have and then show reporters joking about it is I don't know that that yeah. it just kind of draws you out of the film. No, Not, of, of course. Uh, no, I I think I think there's a lot of stuff that is that is said that doesn't need to be said. Right. Like, that, like we get it. You don't need to kind of, kind of keep piling on. I think that's the and that, yeah. It's not a joke that needs to be made. Right. right. It's just, or made again and again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So especially for a movie that's you know pretending to be progressive. Right. I mean, like it's it the ultimate message of what this movie has. That the 1978 version doesn't have is this idea of like of the character becoming, you know, accepting of 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 mm-hmm. the situation. And and like what's funny about this and I, I know we, we still haven't like finished that's, that's, the yeah, synopsis, okay. but what's funny about this from a perspective of Gene Hackman. When, in, when the reveal happens where Nathan Lane is not actually a woman and he's not actually in a conservative household, he can't fathom it. He doesn't, right. he doesn't right. understand right. it. Diane Weist, his conservative wife, basically has to like shake him and say they're two men. Because what he says is, wait, you can't be Jewish? <laughs> right. Because that's another running joke is that. So, so the, the, the family goes down to meet... Calista Flockhart's family, the conservative family, goes so, down to Florida to meet. Right, because they're the, trying to set up a wedding to, right, to, to right. offset the scandal of the moral majority person right. being found in the arms but, of a prostitute. But the real, the, 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 the real thing that that I think is problematic in this film, right, is is 
basically what what sets everything kind of in motion, and that's the son asking the father to pretend to be someone he isn't. So Robin Williams has to act as if he is the cultural attaché to Greece, <laughs> and that he's married, and that he's straight, and that he's not Jewish. And and that to me is, and, and that's kind of where then like the rest of the comedy sort of like but takes. Val takes is the is Val is the villain in this movie. No, one hundred percent. Val is the is the villain. I mean, this is this, this is watching this again. This is what stood out to me and made me so. I mean, in a way, angry. I mean, how how hard have these two men worked to figure out who they want to be and figure out a way to be that way together for this long? I, I mean, look. I can't imagine how hard that is. It's hard enough figuring out who the fuck I am. I still don't know. I have no idea. And I'm, I'm a straight white dude in his 40s. God, yeah, I have problems. But so so to think about how difficult that has been, and, and I know everyone's story is different. You're a young man at heart, by the way. This is true. I am. I still have that twinkle just kind of dancing around in my eyes. But then, so to go through all this, to sort of set up this business that is successful, that is that is open, that that people flock to, because they accept that, and that's what they're there to see. We see straight people in the club celebrating anniversaries, right? right. And, and so this is great. And then to have a family member, a beloved family we member, see politicians there too, and you, right? Oh, the Kennedys, yeah, oh, <laughs> just the young ones though. <laughs> they get free coffee. <laughs> I love that line. Oh, I wish we could get Ted. I love that line where he <laughs> save room save for coffee. For coffee. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, great, thanks. But then to have have this son who he's raised by himself. Right? Christy Moransky was not in the picture. And, and that was her choice, and that was their choice, and it's fine, as we see later. But then to have him say, I need you to be someone else. I need you to get rid of this identity, get rid of this person who you've worked for years to become and and have accepted yourself or have, have other people have accepted you for Don't do that anymore. Be someone else. That's terrible. Yeah. It is fucking awful. I mean, if someone asked me to do that, I'd probably punch them. Yeah. Because no, that would be keeping with my character and identity. But <laughs> but I mean, that's I can't imagine. Be someone else. I love you. Don't be you. Right. And to send your lover, send your life partner away. Send them away because they can't be in this Rain world. in themselves. Yeah. No, they can't. They can be in this world. They are in this world. They are in this world the way they want to be. They can't be in the world the way you want them to be. In this right. moment. And, and, the, and the story doesn't make sense long term either. Oh, no, because no, I mean, <laughs> right. Which I know we're not supposed to really. So you're never going to have like <laughs> Christmas together. I mean, what? <laughs> right. Yeah, they own a club in South Beach. Of course, you're going to South Beach for, for Christmas. <laughs> I and mean, they go up there. Oh, this architecture. Is there a nightclub downstairs? And you get this like. <laughs> and it, it's weirdly like, again, I don't know how you make this movie without the central conceit. Right. I mean, you obviously have to. The, the whole comedic premise is they're trying to be somewhere they're not because they love their kid. I get it. But but yes, the, the appealing back the layers of the onion bows a piece of shit yeah. and Armand should have told him like look no and they and they do they 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 struggle with it obviously throughout the film right. and, and and it obviously leads to some really really funny scenes of <laughs> them getting it putting a moose on this on the wall and then or, a big crucifix or, or sexual like acts um depicted on on flatware <laughs> on, some, on plates and bowls are they wrestling are they, are they playing leapfrog <laughs> two boys <laughs> um, I mean, again, though, I think I think that this movie is here's the thing. I think Nichols gets May. I think May gets yeah, Nichols, I, and and I think Nichols knows how to put this stuff on on screen. I think the movie works best like when they're in the apartment, when it's in like one location. Mm-hmm. I mean, does does Nichols work best that way? 
I'm, I'm yeah. thinking of, I don't know. I mean, I know he, cause a lot of what he started doing early was directing plays. Right. right. And then, and then who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? It was a play that largely takes place in one, one setting. I, I don't know. I mean, but I think that's where the movie is the best when they're all together and sort of, you know, playing off of each other and bouncing things back and forth. This, this feels like, yeah, I, I think that this feels like a punch up from the original script, right? Yeah. I mean, and adding, yeah. a, adding a few things here and there. I think there are little lines that this, that aren't in there. I mean, this plays very close to the original. The only thing that doesn't happen in the original that happens in this one is really the kind of realization, like the, the scene, the we are family scene where they're dressed up in drag and they're going out doesn't play out the same way in the original because it's it's a little bit more dour and it's a little bit more like tense like you're, you're really trying to get them out of the room yeah and then there's and then they cut directly like that scene's much shorter and then you cut directly to the wedding scene and everyone's kind of like we're reluctantly okay with one another because we both have to use each other for some sort of way whereas you i think that the, where the birdcage differs is I think that there is an understanding of the value of both. And I do think that that Hackman and Weist come along. And so the next scene, when the wedding scene seems like, OK, now we're going to start intermingling these ideas and we're going to start, you know, reaching a homeostasis of everyone being OK. And we're all, you know, you are yep. you and we are we and it's fine. I mean, we're all going to be OK. We're all going to live our lives. I, I think that the, the the 78 version is, like I said, has a meaner streak to it than this one does. I don't know what May would have done differently if she had directed it, aside from maybe, again, let the moments linger a little bit. But I don't yeah. know in this case, like, I mean. I would imagine that that one what was written is on the screen and that any sort of like improvisational stuff really was the things like Robin Williams doing, the, yeah. you know, the choreography scene and, and a few other little bits and pieces. Maybe you let Lane off the leash a little bit as well. And just in far as far as the mannerisms go. Um, and he does. A, a, he does a great job with those. I think, you know, the. um the dinner scene where he's trying to teach him to butch up and be a, a man. I, I think, you know, I think that's all of them, right? That's all on the yeah. page. But I think the whole, like just the, 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 the physicality of it all um, is Lane and, and Williams. Yeah. And so I think that just like, obviously having those two people together elevates this film. Right. But I, I don't think there's a, there's a significant amount of difference. Yeah. Um, no, there are moments like in the script where, you know, like the um, choreography scene and other scenes where, the kind of specifics are left blank or vague where it's like, and you do this and you do this and you do this, but you keep it all inside. Right? <laughs> right. So he can sort of step in and fill those other, fill those blanks, fill those spaces. And I think that's where the, that the room for ad libbing comes, but and yeah. And then the physicality of those two, because they are such, I mean, even laying in straighter roles and you know what I mean, right? Like kind sure. of non-comedic sort of, you know, yeah. more dramatic roles. He's still a very kind of physical like the way he moves, right? Is, is, right. He's still a very physical actor, so it's not like he's going to be told. He's not a static guy who's going to be told sort of how to move. Right. Right. How do you feel about uh, Azaria? <laughs> I can't handle his Guatemalan heat. <laughs> My Guatemalan. <laughs> it's too much heat. Um, I mean, I think he's playing a caricature, and I think that's probably how he was directed to play. I mean, I mean. Turn it up to eleven, Hank. Right, go go for it. I have no problem with the comedic aspect no. of his role. Right, I think right. it's fine. I I don't think you needed to play in Guatemalan. Like in, in the original movie, it's an it's an it's a you know African uh, actor, um, and and so and that's basically it. I mean, it's, so, it's, it's, it would it have been more in tune if he was Cuban? 
I don't know. I don't no, know. And, and I, I mean, like, I'm I, thinking I, like I, sort of like colonial and like. Right, right. I don't know. I, 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 the brown face, do, where do we draw the line? Right. I mean, I guess this is a question I'm asking. Yeah. Like, I mean, in 96, no one was at, and it was even, it was even addressing it. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't be addressing it in 2023, but right. is it problematic? I don't necessarily know I'm equipped to answer it necessarily. Um, you, talk, you know I'm not equipped to answer it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, 100, yes. Yeah, I know I'm not, but I'm pretty sure, you, I'm pretty sure you're not a guy. So I, I don't know. It's It's like, where does it fall between being a, a funny, it, it's a funny role. He's really good in it. Yeah. Um, but where does it fall to be? Is that a Guatemalan stereotype? Are we worried about we should have, we should have played it in a different, because there's nothing necessarily that would need to have been a gay Guatemalan, Guatemalan stereotype. Right. And I think the gayness actually, and again, not necessarily for me to say, but I think the over the top gayness wasn't, uh, wasn't, a, I don't think, I'm not sure if that's offensive. Right. I mean, I don't know. If that, that those, if that, that embodiment of that type of particular is, 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 you know, bringing offense. I don't, yeah. I've never heard anybody call that out. No, in fact, um, Glad was very kind of, I think, supportive of this film um, when it came out. Yeah. I mean, it was praised by Glad at the time I, for whatever that's worth. I mean, again, though. The sandwich bag? Yes. Yes. And it had an endorsement from Hefty. So. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Jesus. <laughs> this is what happens when we when when we say something serious we just turn it into a joke because that's how we deal yeah, right. with that's how we deal with the that's how we deal with our uncomfortable um white straightness <laughs> right. we are we you have to remember we are well, i'm you know gen x but more on the cusp jason is solidly gen x he's about 65 i'm kidding is right, that, I mean, right i'm sorry i'm joking no you're right. you're the gene hackman i'm the diane weast of this <laughs> this, is, this is true i have no idea what's going on <laughs> i tell weird stories about driving across the country um, i thought that was i mean i i i don't i don't i don't know it's it's really tough for me. Oh yeah, it's so hard for me. <laughs> I, so watching this, I mean, just being historians, right? I mean, honestly, that, that's all, what I mean. All jokes aside, are are we are we okay to forget? I mean, again, and I know who we are. So just put, putting a pin right, on that too. Right. Just being aware, of people, are we okay with that portrayal? Because I was thinking about this, and like, I, I worry not worries worries are the wrong word but i you know this this idea of who can play what and what right who can do what right. and like is jenny slate allowed to voice a biracial character on big mouth versus you know again so there's questions to be had and i think it's an interesting conversation to have and i want to hear all sides of it i just don't know in this particular case when we point out the problematic things that are already happening are we missing something that's maybe more problematic because this is not it's not necessarily parker stevens in short circuit right but but I don't know. It could be. I mean, it's it's close. It's. I think you're you're teetering on a line there that doesn't yeah. necessarily need it. He can be a white gay maid, right? And could be from anywhere, right? And Azari is a talented actor, yes. weirdly buff, and it always weirds me out when I see him. I know. Buff. <laughs> I know. It's because he seems like such a nerdy kind of geeky guy, and then you're like. Oh, <laughs> right. Um, and he's great. He is. He adds an element and in, in, in to this movie that is really, really funny. But are we like, is the problematic thing the Guatemalan, Guatemalanness, I'm sorry, the Guatemalanness or the, the, his portrayal of a, of a well, gay man? And, and I mean, so it's like, that's like, is he too much of a stereotype, you know, played for laughs? And right. I think there again, like the, I, I just don't, but I, so I don't think, so, my, so here's my take, right? Yeah. His, his 
Gainus, yes, is played for laughs, but I don't feel like he, I don't feel like it's punching down in the same way that something like Hollywood from the movie Mannequin is, you know, where it's just like, where, like his, his character is not, man, it's hard for me to say, is it defined by his gayness? But whereas like you see a lot of eighties movies that were like, you know, the, like, I don't know, the kid from Revenge of the Nerds where, you know, where he's like running with Lamar. Oh yeah, 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 yes. Is is it, is it played, is the gayness played for laughs? Or is it just that his physicality is so? I mean, I guess he's gay and he's physical because he's falling all over himself and he's well, got because a, he got doesn't a funny wear accent. shoes, right? And then he has to put on shoes and he's like, <laughs> I, they always they always make me fall down. And and his, when, he, when he puts on the straight dinner is served. I don't know. I, I typically err on the side of comedy. So if yeah, it's funny, yeah. then um, then it's then it's one thing. But um, I think my phone is telling us it's uh, there's an emergency weather alert. But uh, sorry, I was just making sure there was no emergency. Um, <laughs> there's this weather. The, the, the world's falling this, apart beside us. This but. is podcasting time. There's always an emergency. That's why we're here. <laughs> So I don't want to harp on it, and I also want to be those guys that are like, "Ooh, right. you know, we've got to figure out." Like, well, all because the look, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a white savior, much less a straight <laughs> white savior. I mean, but no, really, I mean, look, this is something, and and again, this is serious, and I, and I know that, like, ooh, my troubles are so tough, but I'm, I try to be conscious of, like, what comments am I making for a community, and and am I the person to do that? And I don't, you know. Oftentimes I'm not. If I can be supportive, yes. I, look, I want to be an ally, but I don't need to be the guy as a straight white man in the room. Let me tell you, your portrayal of homosexuality is offensive to the homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> you guys shut up. All right. I got this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You people who are really fighting for this. <laughs> I got you. Look, I'll, 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 re- <laughs> I'll relay your outrage. Don't worry about that. <laughs> let me tell them how you feel. I'm very offended for you. Oh, my God. Right? No, And that's not my that's not my intent either. I just want to make sure that we're no, right, like, right, just, right. Just, you know, I mean, I, I get it. It's just it's just discussion points more than anything yeah. else. If like, should we should we call this out or not? But but these are I th- I think weirdly talking about these films. I think these are important things to actually think about, right, and to actually discuss and to and to consider. And I feel like we are trying to consider kind of our roles in these things. Maybe listeners will also consider their roles in some of these scenarios as well, because I I do think. It, do you hear that, Gwyneth? Do you hear it? Consider your role in things. Think about those eggs. And Chris, stop making music. (laughs) Stop. Yeah. It's good. Yellow is fine. You're done. I don't know. Um, What was their, their second album was good too. Yeah. I'd look, I'm not going to, I liked Vanilla Ice the first time I fucking heard it too. I mean, it's not going to. Okay. Okay. The Coldplay is not Vanilla Ice, right? I mean. Look, I, I can imagine you dancing with your hammer pants to play this funky music, white boy, but, but <laughs> right. Or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song, yeah. which I'm sure that you, you, you know, your love for like yeah, movie rap, rap, I'm yes, sure yes. that you were into. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Let's talk about primary colors. Yeah, let's go ninja, go ninja, go to primary colors. (laughs) What a fucking segue that was. Look, primary colors is a Romana clef for the the Clinton campaign of the first Clinton campaign in 92. Right. It was a a quote unquote novel written by Joe Klein, published under anonymous. But everyone involved with this campaign knew it was Joe Klein because they all recognized his style of writing. Right. (laughs) You know, publishing something as anonymous allowed him to be. 
or allows us to be more truthful in some way. But I mean, that's what this movie is. Right? It was a marketing technique more than yeah, it was anything else. Right. You, you were, I mean, I remember when this came out because the book came out in 96, the movie came out in 98. I remember when this came out, I would have been senior in high school or just like finishing up high school. And, you know, knowing what it was, but not really giving a shit at that point. Yeah. I mean, I, it, that was a weird like the all of Clinton's presidency was weird. Clinton was the first. Clinton was like the first person I voted for. Like I was eighteen during his sure. his first run. So the ninety two. I mean, he would have been the first because I voted absentee for him second time because I would have been yeah. It, so yeah, and I I and that was the whole Ross Perot thing. Like it, you know, so when I was a senior in high school, that was like Ross Perot was out in like there were people out in Austin trying to do, get get. Sure. Uh, you could sign, you know, sign a petition to get him on a ballot, kind of like thing. like that they was, did with with Nader later on, right? With, with um, Al Gore when you're yeah, this I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, this this was like by the time this all came out, um, I it just seemed like it was so passe and like and like a like I don't know, like we. I mean, it was trying to give like more insider information, I guess, or a different kind of view of this campaign, right? But I, we all knew this shit. Yeah, I don't necessarily know. Um, as an expose, right? Or uh, the, the movie is very sympathetic to Clinton. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, like they paints him out to be a Lothario and really kind of a piece of shit in a lot right. of ways, almost a. So it's super sympathetic. But he's but, a piece uh, of. No, I'm kidding. But, no, no, no I, I'm teasing. I, I, yes, I, I, agree. I think the I ultimate agree. message is right is that charismatic men, a lot of times, especially charismatic men who aspire to politics, are also these. You know, lo, you know, these this this that type of charisma carries over into their personal lives as well. And that type of charisma is potent when you're talking about sexual relations. It just simply is. And so and it's hard for these men to turn it off. And it's and it and it forgives a lot of this behavior in men uh, because they have potential to do other good work. So we I, the idea of greatness right around them. And then that's I think that's what this movie is ultimately about is about the people that surround themselves. I, I think this is a really good movie. I think that this but it's such a milk toast film for me in a lot of ways. So it's weird for me to kind of I, I think if this movie is not made in the Clinton era and it's not made about if it's not so obviously made about Clinton and like in Bill and Hillary. I think, and I, I don't know how you tone that down based on what the source material is, right. right? But if this is just some Joe Blow, you know, average politician and an, another, um, a, you know, powerful woman behind a Joe Blow average politician, and, and it's not so clearly a caricature of Clinton, I think this is a more powerful movie. So and, is that House of Cards? I don't, I don't know, because it's hard. It's hard now to separate House of Cards right. from from the right. spacey shit, but like. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, I, th I think so. I think House of, you know, again, it's hard to like, it's fucking, it's, it's shitty, right? I mean, it's yeah. shitty for the women. That, but the I just, but, it, but again, like, like, I just meant, you yeah, know, when House of Cards was premise good, wise. I think House of Cards played up all of the, it, it, it ramped up the, the political espionage and intrigue and like people were getting murdered. And yep. so it seemed like the, like the, the, the conspiracy theory bullshit around Clinton and the whitewater and all like that seemed like house of cards, like focused in on that. And let's make a really kind of the wire type you know show <laughs> based on political change. I mean, I, I think this movie does a really good job of showing you what a political campaign oh, I do too. is like, and like all of the, you know, the, 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 the justifications that you have to make with oneself, 
to to move forward with people like this and and all of the dirty things that you that you seemingly have to do and decisions the shit you, have you to make. swallow to yeah right in order to uh, you know achieve something or get or to to get to the point where you can make you know changes in this in in this country in this world or whatever so i think this 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 movie does a really good job of it i think it's i think it's a time capsule and that's unfortunate that it could be better like i said if it wasn't such an if if travolta doesn't try to play this as clinton and Emma Thompson doesn't so clearly try to play this as Hillary, which I think Emma Thompson comes off much better than Travolta does in this film. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that they were bad. I think Travolta is distracting. And so I think that that him acting like a Saturday Night Live version of Clinton mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really pulls this film down. Whereas if you just let him be somebody who's not a clearly a Clinton clone. Right. Because Travolta can be charismatic. Like on, on his, right. I mean, no. what I mean, like on his sure. own, without without portraying Bubba, right. right? Also, something else that Travolta does that pulls me out of it is that he moves like Travolta. He moves like a dancer, right? right? I mean, right. the way he kind of moves his arms and his hips, and this everything has like this rhythm to it that I don't think Clinton has. <laughs> and right. I don't know if you notice that, but there's a couple times where he reaches for things, and it's such this gestural but elegant and sweeping movement. Where I'm like, that is not how. That's not what Clinton does. And only someone who's like done the kind of moves and the kind of physical work that he's done is going to do that. It's it's I know that it, it's at the height of like the second wave of, of Travoltaism. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jason knows Jason knows when the second wave of Travoltaism was, but doesn't know when second wave or third wave feminism was, as we so clearly heard him just dismiss earlier in the podcast. You all see what I'm dealing with here. Yeah, I'm so proud of myself, too. It's embarrassing. Um, I, I know that this is, is, is at the height of his second wave of popularity, but I just feel like this is at no point when you're watching this movie, are you thinking, oh, I'm watching politician i'm watching you're thinking i'm watching john travolta play, play Bill Clinton, yeah. right and it's and especially when he takes on the the southern affectations in his in his voice and it i don't know it doesn't necessarily pull me out because eventually it's a two and a half hour long movie so eventually you just kind of go with the flow and the movie's better when it's not focusing on him right like when it when he's not in scene which almost makes me think like again i don't necessarily know well you know maybe this movie doesn't do as well if it's not travolta in the starring role um, and maybe that you needed that kind of um, cultural setting, you know, on the moment to make to make this movie that like popular, connected right? tissue. So you can go in, and if you're a Democrat or you're a liberal, you can go in and say, you know what, he is a great man. And if you're a Republican or, or conservative, you can go back. Oh, look at all these shitty things that this guy did, right? right? I mean, like, but I think you know where this movie really succeeds is when it's showing you the you know all of the campaign people that, that are working for him. And and like I said, those decisions that they have to make and this kind of, you know, this interplay and really kind of just the undertakings of, of what a campaign is like going on a road and like dealing with, you know, all these different personalities and these people that are uh, so devoted to this individual. And I think the one thing that the movie does sort of well, it kind of leaves it at, at the wayside, but like the thing that, that, helps with Travolta in the role and that kind of that movement is you can believe that this 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 guy is charismatic and is is sleeping with these women. It's one of those things that's like it's almost like I, it's sympathetic to Clinton in a lot of ways because it toned down the the number of infidelities that most likely were actually there. Again, and it's and it's what we don't really do 
you know, and this movie doesn't really do is like focus on it doesn't turn a camera back to American society and say, why the fuck are you like, why are you focusing? Like we had a very right. particular point in time where we were focusing on, you know, the personal lives of, the, of these, especially from a moralistic standpoint. Right. And well, this is why it's kind of an interesting piece with birdcage true. and this like moral majority because it bleeds into this. Right. I mean, the, the same kind of, again, like don't ask, don't tell. Look, I mean, look, 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 we are dealing with politicians right now who want to wo- want to roll back same sex marriage and rights for transgender people. I mean, so there's all of this stuff that was still the kind of nascent budding of this was, I think, was happening at, at this point because we just come, come out of like dark ages of where the civil rights bill and everything had been passed. And and now we, you know, politicians have to find a new target. And so it's sexual infidelities and immorality of of divorce. And even though Newt Gingrich was sleeping around on his wife as she was dying from cancer. Fuck that dude. Sorry. <laughs> right. He's a good Catholic, though. I mean, right. but 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 I think, <laughs> right, it, it doesn't turn the camera back and sort of, it doesn't really, I, think, I don't think implicate it could. Don't think it could us in all, any right? way though. Right. But I think it could find a way to implicate the viewer and go, you know, and ask like, why were you focused on this and not this? Right. And why we were forgiving of it when yeah. with someone like Kennedy and not with Clinton, like where was our, like, and again, I know this is a bigger movie. Well, and Jennifer a Flowers wasn't Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I mean, no offense. Right. But good point. Cashmere McCloud in the in the film in the books. What a name! What a fucking name! Yeah, I, this movie is. I, you know, it, it's interesting too that it comes out in the middle of Clinton's second term, right? I mean, so this and is close to the Lewinsky right scandal, right? Which is again, you know, c- coupling it with Levinson's Wag the Dog, which mm-hmm. is also mm-hmm. another movie that comes out at the same. So it, that those having both of those come out during during this era. I know it's pretty bold, I guess, but it, but again, also then kind of limits them with any sort of historical perspective or any sort of like uh, you know perspective of outside you know greater picture than than just the moment of okay we've got this guy and he is a philanderer and and but he also has potential to become president of the United States and this is what we're going to do for this particular person to go to take that film and to make it now where we clearly don't seemingly give a shit about that stuff anymore. At least for one person, <laughs> anyway. Right. And 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 then <laughs> like to and to then to like and you know like and rightfully so like to where we look for at someone like Lewinsky who has been able to slowly crawl her way back to us treating her like a fucking human being rather than just instead a, of a villain, right? Rather, right? Rather than or just a, a walking joke, right? I know this is not the intention of this film, but it. But it's one of those things that kind of stands out as we're watching it in 2023 is that we're so focused on look, there's a personal dynamic of of between a husband and a wife that is <laughs> not uh, touched upon. Sorry, they, the, the lights <laughs> are flickering out, <laughs> probably probably related to the emergency notice that we got. And we're just ignoring. They're telling my they're telling me my time is up. We're not t- <laughs> at the way station to heaven. <laughs> So, so there's there's a dynamic there that we don't really even touch on. I we we it's only and again I know this movie is about the campaign trail, but the the moments that are really stand out are the ones when Emma Thompson learns that her husband has slept with a 17 year old, you know, ba- babysitter. babysitter, and she just collapses mm-hmm. and. And lashes out at the at George Stephanopoulos. Right, right. Um, and the Kathy, I mean, like, I, I think I think everybody on the supporting cast is phenomenal. I think uh-huh. Billy Bob's phenomenal. I James think, Garville. James Garville. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Kathy Bates is 
amazing. Mm-hmm. She is incredible. I think Maura Turney's great. Um, um, more more attorney is always great. Yeah, no, why, so why do oh, we have more? I have such a thing for oh, more attorney. Okay, no, right, right. No, always, always have. We'll yeah. never not have a thing for more attorney. But why wasn't she in more? I don't, I don't. So, yeah, <laughs> have you ever seen Pump Up the Volume with Christian yes, Schlater? Yes, yes, you know, yes, she was yeah. married to the guy, the the blonde-haired kind of punkish guy in oh. Pump Up the Volume. She was married to him for a really long okay. time. And so, like, they kind of came up together. And, like, he, I think her career kind of took off. And, like, she did an ER. And I don't News radio? Yeah, news radio. Yes. Oh, she's so I, yeah, I don't know why there's not like if we want to go and like just delve into if we want to like bring someone to the Elaine May level, why there hasn't been more of them. Yeah, more. Yeah. It's like, why isn't there more more tyranny? Did things? you watch the affair on Showtime? I have not. Um, seen that, with no. with Dominic. Uh, or so. No, the guy from um, The Wire. What's his fucking name? Uh, I'm sorry. Anyway. Yeah, it was in uh, Punisher. Um no, what? Yeah, he was in the, he was he was the he was the slash face in uh, oh. somebody in one of the Punishers. Why can I not think of his name? West Dominic West. Dominic West. Thank you, Do- Dominic West. Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, she and Dominic West are in the affair. I mean, I I don't think it's that that great, but oh, and but it's and, more stuff with her. Though. But it's exactly and exactly, and I think she's has an emotional gravitas in the in the series. Anyway, so do you like this film? I mean, like I I, I thought it was. Did fine. you see it when it came out in ninety eight or whenever it was? No, I saw it later. Okay. Um, several years later. I mean, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, I think kind of like what you said, it's a very milk toast kind of movie of its, of its time. Right. Like, I mean, in a way like birdcage, it's, I think it's well-made. I think it's well-acted. Um, I think there are some interesting shots when they get off of the plane and, and he, um, you know, is basically getting dressed down by Emma Thompson and Nichols has that camera just spin around them to kind of, you know, indicate this like turmoil and, and sort of fight. I thought that was really cool and, and a good use of that. It doesn't do a ton of that, but, but even at the beginning where we just see the handshakes right? and we focus on that. I mean, so I think it's, I, th- I think it's a well-made and it does some interesting stuff. I, I just, I can't quite figure out the tone. Right. I mean, I feel like the tone is kind of uneven. At one point, it's sort of jokey. Then it's serious. Then it's it gets really like that near the end. Right. When you're when when you get to the Kathy Bates suicide. Right. It kind of turns on a dime. Yeah. Like we're, whereas before, everyone's kind of jovial and this is all kind of lighthearted. And really, once Bates comes in, when she's such a power, yeah. uh, you know, powerful force and such a powerhouse in this. And she just kind of owns and chews up the scenery and she owns everything. It's weird then when when all of this, you know, like I said, it takes such a serious turn and like it just. And they go dark. Right. They, you know, they go dirty. Right. And then we get Larry Hagman's. I could do anything except cocaine. Cocaine's <laughs> a hell of a drug. And, and, and I only slept with this guy a couple of times, but it's because of cocaine. He just goes on this like cocaine rant. And it's, it's, that was the other thing about this movie that, <laughs> that was weird. weird to me, like watching it now, not the cocaine part, but like just the, um, that's just, never weird. <laughs> no, no, I'm yeah. I was, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> You're- Evidently, the world is ending, so okay. we'll just uh, 
We'll just live in this podcast booth from here on out. Yeah. So we I did not bring enough food. So. <laughs> well, I'm sure someone in the Look, hallway. Whichever one of like, us dies first. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, have you at, have me. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and fry me We're up. We're both here. We're just both just eating each other. <laughs> so we had an environment we had an environmental, you know, surge and everything like shut down. And so now we're back. Um, we, we're not worried about the outside world. We, we figured the apocalypse would come sooner or later. We were talking about cameos, and so uh, we'll pick back up on how this is basically a cameo feast, like JFK was. Uh, yeah, not quite to the same level, but I mean, like, and, oh, and, and no the Rob Pesci. The, right, no Kevin Bacon line, but uh, the Rob Reiner, that bit was, that was the thing, too. Like, you're talking about, like, this movie has an uneven tone. That's not me doing cocaine. That was just me sniffing. Um <laughs> <laughs> that a lot of a lot of it was like it gets so serious at the end that, that again in a two and a half hour runtime I think you kind of trouble you you maybe keep the the general overall feel kind of consistent but in this case you're kind of lulled to sleep and like of all this shit like it's weird again to kind of looking at it from a, a, a higher level um it's weird that the Kathy Bates character uses this to commit suicide because she's clearly seen them do other shit. Like this right. is not like I, I like this speech. Right. I like I love her, you know, her moment where, you know, you were better than this and that, you know, this was. But you showed me that you weren't kind yeah. of thing. And then this, she was so heartbroken by it that she couldn't. And this was it for her. It was done. It was yeah. like so there was no other reason to, to and, go on. But. And part of her character was based on um, Vince Foster's character or or. Vince Foster in real life. And I think he had, you know, I don't know if we've ever figured out why or if, if they ever found out why he committed suicide. The lights are still blinking, folks. So I'm trying to get my like um, thoughts back together. But but again, it's it's movie land. And I, yeah, I think the tone is just uneven kind of throughout. It got good reviews when it came out. It didn't. It was very um, financially successful. So I think it's I think it's fine. I did as of another film that I don't. Like the birdcage, I think will stand the test of time because of Williams and Lane. Yeah, and I think people will go back to that and um, you know forgive whatever things that need to be forgiven for it. But of the movies that we watch, I think Such Good Friends is going to be buried, and which is a shame. It really is because I think that's probably when I was going into this, I wasn't going to think I wasn't thinking that Such Good Friends would be the one that really stood out to me as the as the most interesting one we're going to talk about today. And I think to the end of that one really is head and shoulders above all these other ones because you know i think one may had a better voice in this one i think the source material allowed for it this is something that again we talked about um again off mic about if you take a look at elaine may's early work and you look at it as a mirror to the men and the industry around her it really is pretty fucking biting yeah. and like this this line that she had about Mikey and Nikki which is it's always your best friend they always betray you it always happens and it, it, that, I'm paraphrasing that was not her direct quote but that was what she said I mean when she's talking about Mikey and Nikki it's, just, it's always your best friend and it always happens it's never not going to happen this idea of if this is if these works are semi-autobiographical <laughs> as well and it's really it's an interesting thread. Yeah, pull. especially those first three films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this would be and and and, and such good friends, right? Because if you look at well, like right, right. Because if you look at like her husband, 
So the scene where, you know, they're at the magazine and he's he's taking the photographer's composition and saying, I'm going to narrow this down. Like he's it's a guy sitting in a in a, in a series of, of, of uh, seats at an athletic stadium and he's in the bottom corner and. They, her her husband Julie's husband comes in and just says, "I'm gonna we're just gonna focus on the person. We're gonna like, crop gonna crop yeah. That's Robert Evans taking the shit out of a new lead. Yeah, and 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 so this idea of like I'm gonna fucking show you who you are, and if you don't like it or if you can't see it, man, I mean that's on you. But hey, this is who you are. <laughs> it's 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 a level of just brilliance and courage that is. So, so good. And this was in a film directed by a man, too. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, that adds another layer to in, that. In, kind in, of... a, in, a, in a mansplaining scene, because, again, that's one that's right. one of the scenes where right. you don't even realize Julie is in the scene until the camera pans a couple of times. And then she comes in full frame. And even then, she's still behind the man. It's and there's just so much that you like I said, and someone of those reasons I to watch this movie again. But there's just so many. There are so many layers to her first three films, and I think I think I would add and such add good friends to, it, to yeah. it that it's just like I I mean we should be writing books about this. We should be like there, and there's there was somebody who was making um, a movie about May and Nichols, and I don't know if it ever it didn't ever come to fruition. I don't know if it's still in the plans, but there was somebody who was making a, a movie, kind of a fictionalized version of of them. Um, and I'd be interested to see. That'd be interesting to see, like how on, that, right, yeah, how it all plays yeah. out. But it, but, but it, that seems right for you know, uh, just a film as well. Just we love biopics. We do. I we do. do. I fucking hate biopics. They're so good, man. Oh my They're god. So good. Like, you are know, you serious? No, of course. Okay, not. thank you. <laughs> This has been a weird day with Jason today. I mean, with all of the like second wave Travolta Travolta-isms and um, <laughs> the Vanilla Ice, yeah, and the, yeah, uh, his novelty rap, like, shitting um, on Joan Didion, and like, you know, I, yeah, I, I didn't really. I just was dismissed. No, I know. Well, shit. you dismissed her husband, <laughs> some guy. <It's>, no. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrote that great TV series, Vegas. It's a book, asshole. <laughs> Yeah, they turned it into a TV series. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> um, let's, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I do think there are some funny moments um, in, Primary I, think, I think Billy Bob Thornton is is pretty funny playing this James Carville character. I, I mean, problematic as well, right? He, he pulls his dick out in the scene. We don't see it, but. Hey, but it's called the, out pretty quickly. Though. Yeah, and it is, and it is. But when he says to Henry, our kind of main character, the Stephanopoulos character, who's who's a black man, when when Billy Bob says, "I'm probably blacker than you are," <laughs> he says, "I've got some slave in me. I can feel it." I just the That's way he de- oh, it's so good, and the way he delivers it is just like because he's not. I mean, his character is not trying to just like make a joke. He's like, "No, I believe this." <laughs> I mean, the way he's leaned back in his chair and just indignant, like I have slave in me. I know it. It's um, I can just feel it. Or when they're talking about their moms at the barbecue joint, and Emma Thompson says, "This is the South. They're in a mamathon. This could go on for days." <laughs> right, and Billy Bob Thornton gets up, throws his chair, starts My talking mama. about how, right, lost her leg, and 
never ask for nothing in her life and nobody. <laughs> it's the, those moments are really good. And, and, and like that moment again is this instance where it's happening in the background. I mean, the conversation is going on between Emma Thompson. Yeah. The adult and, conversation, and the adult going. conversation. And then we get this like kind of background, like noise. And then Billy Bob stands up and throws a chair and it goes from there. I, I mean, I think there are some really nice there's a, comedic there's, moments in there. And when, when Travolta pulls him in, they're doing the, the Thanksgiving and they're doing the dancing at the end of it. And Travolta pulls in Billy Bob Thornton. And he's so like uncomfortable and can't really dance. And, like, <laughs> and Billy Bob Thornton, like, I don't know if he gained weight for this role, but he's like, he, and I, he doesn't get to be quite, he's not quite the Billy Bob Thornton that's married to Angelina Jolie yet. So, right. and he's not the rocker Billy Bob Thornton. Right. Um, so he's carrying himself in a different way. Yeah. He's really good. I mean, like yeah. he's, I, you know, he gets overshadowed by his weirdness, but like that guy, Really is he's yeah I know he's I think he's good at kind of the the writing the directing and, and, and the acting maybe not so much being a rocker but okay well that that wraps up the the screenplay part the screenplay segment of our May Madness you know Elaine-a-thon. Um, and since we don't want to give this up we're going to dive into Elaine's acting performances yeah uh, specifically other ones we've already talked about we're, so we're going to do love. Um, Come in, California laughing. Split. California Sweet. California, California Split's yes, Calif- different, yeah. <laughs> right, that's the uh, that's the other movie. Yeah, California Sweet, um, Small Time Crooks, Crisis in Six Scenes. Was there another one that we were going to do? Uh, what's the Come In Laughing? Uh, oh, the, uh, it's the Carl Reiner the film. The Carl right? Reiner film, yeah. Um, Inter Laughing. Inter Laughing. Yeah. And I think we should focus a little bit on her performance as well. And I mean, like within the kind of Nichols and May. Oh, absolutely. Universe. Well, so. I mean, and this gives us a good opportunity to talk Woody Allen and Bill Cosby in a single episode. Oh, I'm, so I'm, exci- I'm excited because these guys are like fantastic. Okay. All right. Let's, let's give the listeners some recommended, if you likes for these, for these right. films. How many did you do? I did three. Well, okay. Let me just stick with three. I mean, I know we did four films, but let's just stick with three. Okay. All right. What's your um, first one? So my first one, my uh, <laughs> my recommended you like is not necessarily a movie, but it's a miniseries. It's on HBO. It's uh, Altman's Tanner eighty eight. Okay. So have you ever seen that? It's on the it's at the Criterion Collection, but it's it's it was a kind of a mockumentary about a uh, a Democratic candidate trying to get the nomination in eighty eight, and obviously Dukakis. But but it's um, I don't know. It's an interesting kind of similar viewpoint into a. Into you know into the, the undertakings and the behind the scenes of a of a political campaign. Yeah, good one. All right, so I picked. We'll, we'll kind of follow along with the primary colors one. I did the candidate. Okay, yeah, the, yeah. the 70, 72, right? Yes. Um, Michael Ritchie directed, but starring Robert Redford, who plays this candidate, right, Democratic candidate from California for the U.S. Senate, who has no chance of winning. So he's more than happy to kind of like you know try to tweak you know the establishment or whatever. Right. So, yeah, and I think I mean the kind of charismatic, good-looking. Even though I don't, I mean, I guess Bill Clinton is good-looking. I don't know. No, I think that was I mean, part of it. Like, I mean, no, I don't think he was ever good-looking. I don't no. think so either. But like, power intoxicates. Whatever. Right, power right. is an aphrodisiac. Look, I've seen a lot of ugly dudes be able to do what they do. I mean, it's not like it's not. I mean, it, ugliness has never I was, been. I was kind of wonder, I wondered how you're going to phrase that. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's never been like a real deterrent, right? right. I mean, beauty and the beholder and all those things. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> speaking of a director that we should get to at some point is, is Michael Ritchie. Yeah. That guy has got an interesting career. Uh, my second one is pretty easy, but it's uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert for the oh, okay. birdcage. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know if, I think it's pretty well known, but uh, um, yeah, that was it. I, I had trouble with this one. 
I was thinking the the bitter tears of Peter Kant, the 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 remake of the bitter tears of of, of Petra Van mm-hmm. Kant, um, the Ozun film. But I think I'll go with Love, Valor, Compassion. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, as a recommended, if you like. What's his name? Jason, the guy from Seinfeld. Uh, Alexander, Jason Alexander, yes. <laughs> and Jeremy Irons, and okay, All right. Shut up, man. <laughs> I can hear the rain outside. I can hear the storm outside. Right. That's not a like. That's not a James Taylor lyric that we actually can't hear the oh, rain outside. God, dude. Um, I, okay, here I don't get James Taylor. I cannot stand. I know this is not a music podcast, but you don't like James Taylor. I don't like James Taylor. Look, it he's, is he's, so... he's the primary colors of music. Oh my! God. It's just so boring. Yeah, he's just white. Look, when when Van Morrison is too politically charged for you, you go with James Taylor. But at least Van Morrison has some like verve. Sure. James Taylor just sits there with his guitar and just like I don't know, tries to ooze sincerity. Right. Just it's go, gross. Go with Jim Croce if you need if you need a James Taylor fix. <laughs> okay. okay. Don't like Jim don't like Jim Croce either. <laughs> I'm not talking about big bad you know, bad, bad Leroy Brown. I'm talking about, you know, time in a bottle and uh, operator. You know, come on. Jesus. It's just it's terrible. <laughs> Look, it was the seventies. Like they were coming off of I know. I know. It's I know, I know. I, what were you expecting? I, know, I, don't, I don't know. I, I try See, not I to. I try popular. not to expect too much. <laughs> this is like my whole. But here's the thing. But then I end up expecting too much, and I'm always let down. Look, the '70s were a great time for movies, shit time for music, and then the '80s were a shit time for movie and a great time for music. So I mean, it's just look, I'm not saying great, great, but it was better. Like the new wave shit that was coming out in the '80s. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Oh, yeah, like, like I'm crazy. Well, no, I know. I'm, I'm anyway. I forget about some of the new wave stuff because like, I think, but I think, I think a lot of that starting like in the '70s. And so, I mean, you know, like Blondie, who's a band, right? Did you I know get, that? Yeah, no, not I'm not not just a woman. <laughs> okay. I mean, she is a woman, but <laughs> she's woman, the lead, lead singer. She's the, the lead singer of the band Blondie. Look, that's fucking their fault. Okay, that's like Jethro Tull. Everyone should expect Jethro Tull to just to be a fucking person. When you name a band. After a singular thing, I mean, that's like, oh, like television. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but is always the lead singer's name television? I, I love, I love just, your, he, I love your stupid <laughs> voice. He just died, by the way. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm I I derailed this. This is my fault, and I'm very sorry. I'm you're okay, but you're right. But look, Debbie Harry wore a shirt that said Blondie's abandoned. I'm just gonna always remind people of that because she's like, look, stop objectifying me. I am more than just my hair color. <laughs> Right, but I do think it's a little bit. She's a little bit to blame for it. I mean, I think I think she invited maybe, that maybe same, she was a marketing genius. She invited that kind Why of confusion into her life. It's Fab Five Freddy's fault. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not um, fair. So my last one is an Otto Preminger film. Bunny Lake is missing. Mm. Um, if you want to dive into other Preminger films that are, I think are interesting. Uh, Bunny Lake is missing is about a. A woman who basically gets gaslighted the entire film and uh, where her daughter, she thinks that her daughter is um, been taken and they try to convince her that her daughter never was there in the first place. It's it's I don't know. It was kind of forward thinking at the time of that of those types of movies. And it's it's. I don't know. It does a pretty good job of like you making you question her as well at certain points. Is so. it like that Jodie Foster movie Flight Plan? <laughs> it is exactly <laughs> like Flight Plan. It's <laughs> it's like Little Man Tate meets Flight Plan. 
I'm sorry. The accused. My my last one is your friends and neighbors. Oh, there we go. The Neil Abute. This was back when you still liked Neil Abute, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. That, when I still yeah. thought he could like destroy the world, like yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, a bunch of unhappy couples that sort of like all fall apart and then just like screw each other, sort of like literally and figuratively. Right. Right. Yeah. That that whole. Um, Oh God, Ben Stiller with the goatee. Yeah, oh. Aaron Eckhart. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't even. Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick's so good in that movie. When he so so good in that movie. They, they, there's a scene where they're in the sauna and they are swapping like best sex stories. Yeah. Fuck, that is that is intense. It is is hard to hear. <laughs> I mean, but he's so committed to that. Right into that moment. And and yeah, that whole <laughs> that is one of the better like. I don't know. That's one of the better, like horrifically mean movie scenes of all time. Like, and he does it so, so very well. And the horror that Ben Stiller and Aaron Eckhart have found themselves in, in that moment, um, is, is, yeah, oh, it's, 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 it's so good. That, that, that scene makes that movie. I mean, it's, that's a, it's a good movie regardless, but that scene kind of just takes it to the next level. Yeah. I mean, and this, this goes along with the, I mean, he made, uncomfortable movies to sit through but movies that at least i thought at the time and i haven't i haven't revisited this film in a while and i haven't revisited in, in the company of men in a while but i remember thinking and i maybe misguidedly so i don't know still thinking that these are good films i've watched in the company of men um i screened it uh and at the at-home film fest and i think it still holds up it's it it shows all the trappings of a movie that's made for next to nothing right yeah. i mean it's it, it is very much a a 90s um you know and relics the wrong term but you know that kind of indie film that was just on a no nothing budget and overly talky and and but it does what it does still really well i mean and, and the performances that he's able to get out of out of his crew of actors um I, I think it holds up. I have not watched your friends and neighbors in a minute, um, but I still think in the company of men. And I yeah. watched the shape of things too. And I think that one still does pretty well. I, I think those types of movies are relatively timeless in that sense. And which is why, again, why I was so enamored with such good friends is that it really is. Once you get past the, the bonkers nature of it all and kind of can separate yourself from it for a minute. Like I said, I think that movie is best on its third or fourth rewatch where you can really kind of dig in and try to figure out and see things you didn't see the first time. And you time kind through. of get past the shock of like right. the initial viewing because you're like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Here? Not to say it's like a Shyamalan movie, but it really is like I've got to then got to figure out, OK, what did I as you sit with it for a minute? Like, what did I go out and what did I miss? Yeah. You know, where where you know, I want to go back and watch all the. Now that you knowing what you know, right? And you knowing where she ends up, I want to go back and watch all the interactions and see. Because there's that, you know, that scene, again, talking about the same kind of scene uh, from your friends and neighbors, when she's confronting her, uh, you know, his his mistress, and she says, you know, the moment that I can, I'm going to shove this in. I'm, I'm gonna, the moment I can hurt you with this, I'm gonna shove this in right into the, in, right into your mouth full of 12 year old teeth is such a yeah. great fucking line. Yeah. And then when it comes around, when she, when she's able to do that, she does it. She does it. She's just like, you know what? You know, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I don't want to be that bitch. I'm going to be a bitch, but I'm not going to be that bitch. That moment where they're talking, right? When she's in this like terrible stage adaptation of a, of a Shakespeare play with, with <laughs> right. the sitar. I mean, that seems like a May touch. I mean, that kind of like humor and yes. the, the director taking it seriously. Another thing that Priminger didn't know how to do. But I feel like that that was maybe a moment where the Didion work had come in. 
when she's talking about power and how to use it and that stuff. Yeah. Okay. They're turning the lights out on us. So the world is literally, <laughs> so collapsing, world is around literally us, so. collapsing around us. So next time we're going to take a look at, again, we're going to take a look at Elaine May's acting and performance. Um, I think we should talk about at least one new film as well. And okay. you know, you maybe you have one in mind. Well, I was going to say maybe Infinity Pool. We could talk about. Okay. Did yeah, you finish yeah. it? I did. Okay. So I, I think did. we could talk about that. Yeah. So I think we'll do a couple, at least one new film, maybe two. And we'll dig into more of Elaine May because we cannot quit Elaine May. Um, other than that, thank you all for listening. And uh, as we go outside, we'll be definitely doing this is keep screaming. <laughs> you have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you like today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting WhyDoesTheWilhelmScream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at FortWorthFilmClub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at RealHouseFoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L HouseFoundation.org. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>